You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. He's a U.S. Ranger. Highly decorated. Did a little hell raising when he was a kid, but nothing serious. He's defending his wife. Got a drunken brawl. And he killed the guy. Could have happened to you or me. I've been uh, chasing this guy ever since I joined the force. He, he has no conscience and he, uh, he shows no, no remorse. He's the mastermind behind numerous bombings and political assassinations. He uh, has a felony list a mile long, murder, arson, kidnapping, terrorism, you name it. He's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. I, for years, I've, I've been watching him tracking him studying his every every move i know his every every mannerism facial tick gesture i know him better than he knows himself and now after all this time i finally figured out a way to trap him i will become him Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Next week, we are keeping this masterpiece train rolling, but I'm going to keep them a surprise for now. Let Josh handle that. Uh, but join yeah. the sleaze, please. Hell yeah. We decide on all the official ratings for, and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for coming up on six years of bonus episodes. There's like 140 Jeez. plus bonus episodes as well as our bonus transmission series which we are have almost done 50 of where we talk about new release genre films that come out uh throughout the year um and there is uh, definitely some ones on the way that you're going to want to be interested in there's a new mission impossible movie that's just come out there is a uh, oppenheimer christopher Oof, nolan so look look forward to that if that interests you at all patreon.com slash sleezoids podcast and speaking of which uh we did have quite a few people make the jump this week we're gonna give them their shout outs here we had uh, AE sign up at $5 a month. Daniel McLean sign up. Uh, we had Zachary Hollingsworth and Cohen uh, Simpson 711 both sign up for an entire year of the show uh, at a little bit of a reduced monthly rate at the at, uh, pledging for, for at the annual tier. Uh, we also had Julian Kopkis uh, sign up. We had Michael as well as another Michael, Michael Johnson. We had Philip Amon. Uh, we had Jesse sign up. We had uh, Matt Simon sign up. Jonah Benyaski, uh, Alex uh, Draws, and Philip Holler. So thanks so much to all of you folks. Hope you are enjoying those bonus episodes. We appreciate the support. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other, uh, as always, is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you are listening uh, to the show on either one of those platforms, and I can see the stats, I can see you right now listening on both of those platforms, uh, give us a gold rating and review over there. It helps us climb the ranks and find new listeners. 
Um, and the very last plug for the week, as always, is merch. If you like the uh, poster art that based out of Toronto horror artist Trevor Henderson did for our show, you can get that put on basically anything that you can think of. And you guys have thought of a lot of things. We've had people buy notebooks, pens, hoodies, uh, pillows. Uh, you can find that link in the description of this episode, as well as over at sleezoidspodcast.com. But that is it for the intro. Welcome back to another uh, week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks over here on the main feed would have heard from us, and we would have had special returning uh, guest, uh, young adult uh, horror author, uh, Emma Berquist on the podcast, uh, making her second appearance to talk about some late 90s post-scream teen horror slasher boom that kind of happened around that around that time. We talked about the, the Scream screenwriter Kevin Williamson's uh, very hastily greenlit I Know What You Did Last Summer from 1997. They were like, Kevin, do you have anything that's even slightly like Scream that we can just put on the screens in like six months? And he was like, I do. Now get yeah, he me. He just brought it from the depths of his desk and, and he had yeah, something for him. He's like, get me. Now we're going to get some Buffy and some Dawson's Creek people in there and we call it a day. Um, (laughs) And uh, we paired that film with a film from 1998 called Urban Legend, uh, which uh, is straight up uh, as close of a Scream clone as you could possibly get. But just instead of Ghostface, you have a uh, a parka wearing University of Toronto killer (laughs) uh, (laughs) staging and modeling his kills after uh, Urban Legends, modern folklore. Um, And uh, definitely has some pretty some pretty wacky kills in that one. Yeah, yeah, some uh, surprisingly mean-spirited kills, which which is great. And I'm glad I got to rewatch it because the first time, for some reason, it really did not work for me at all. But uh, I, I liked it much more this time around. So always yeah. like another chance. <laughs> and any movie where Brad Dourif is just screaming at the top of his lungs in the first like five minutes of a movie, it's worth it's it's worth yeah, watching. it's worth checking out for sure. Yeah, and uh, um, so if you haven't heard that episode, that was over on the main feed two weeks ago. Go back, go go, go check it out. Um, but then last week, over on the Patreon exclusively, we talked about your patron-voted episode, because once every two months, we allow our patrons to vote and select the double feature that we are going to be talking about. And as always, you guys picked a banger. You picked a crazy mm-hmm. one for us, one that obviously has to go super long. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we we talked about uh, two very incredibly surreal and beautiful biographical dramas about mid-20th century self-destructive queer authors whose real lives became one with their art, uh, which sounds yeah. really hyper-specific, but there are two movies, Mishima, A Life in uh, in four chapters from 1985 directed by Paul Schrader um, as well as Naked Lunch from 1991 directed by David Cronenberg the first one obviously about the Japanese author Yukio Mishima the second one uh, American author William S. Burroughs and both handled in a very very surreal subjective uh, half autobiography half adaptation of their work to kind of put you into their mindset and both stylistically just you know insane 
Yeah, and it's the way that I, I wish, and I know you do wish too, that most biopics were probably done nowadays in some way, shape, or form. Especially once it, the, the types of films that once you know a little bit of context about who they're about, the films just open right up to you. And I think explore the, the, the people much deeper than a lot of these kind of more generic approaches would, would do. So, yeah, they're great. Hell yeah. So if you haven't heard that episode, that was over on the Patreon uh, last week. So go go back and uh, go go check that one out. It was a lot of fun breaking those two films down. We went we went a little crazy with it, especially because so much <laughs> research to have to be done to talk about the authors and the connection to the filmmakers and everything. Yeah. We, we, we went a little crazy. Um, but uh, moving on to this week, we have a uh, very special returning uh, guest making his third appearance on the show this week. He is a writer for Rolling Stone, Vice, Stereo Gum, GQ, Pitchfork, Vanity Fair, and I'm sure a few others that I couldn't list because he's just he is too prolific. Um, <laughs> he is a uh, as as we've mentioned a couple times, he's a fellow film bro, and we have talked Rudy Ray Moore with him, Spike Lee with him, and we've also talked significantly about the death penalty. <laughs> <laughs> on on the last time we had him on, we were talking 12 Angry Men in Oxbow incident. But uh, that guest is Jason Buford. Jason, how you doing? Hello. Hello. What's up? I'm um, doing great. It's great to be on Sleezoids again. Um, I still think about the Oxbow incident all the fucking time. It's so bleak. Uh, yeah. It's so bleak. And, you know, I went into a <laughs> so bookstore. fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I went into a bookstore the other day and actually found like a 1950s copy of the book. And I haven't read it yet, but I, I picked it up instantly because I, I was just reminded of us doing that episode. We were all like had our souls sucked out of us by the end of that conversation. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. That was a depressing episode, but always fun. Always fun to have you on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well and, um, and, and, and 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 I think you did take us in a little bit of a different direction. I feel like last time we maybe got a little too heavy, a little too existential. <laughs> and uh yeah. when I when I was asking you, I was like, Jason, obviously we're gonna have you on again. What would you wanna do? And uh Jason, what did you come back to me with? <laughs> yeah, I, I had I, I Remind me, I had just seen a Nick. Cage, I had just seen a Nick Cage movie, and I think it was. I think it was Face Off. Yeah, and I had said like, "Look, um, this is not my first time. This is my second time, but <laughs> this shit is fucking incredible. <laughs> like, yo, <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> like, yo, we actually need to talk about this." Um, yeah, and I remember you were like, "Yeah, definitely, let's do it." And we were going back and forth on what we wanted to do. Um, but eventually I think we just, it had to be Con Air as well. They yeah. both came out in the same year. I think they're both Cage at his peak of his movie star powers. Yeah. Um, he mm-hmm. just gets off do, winning the Academy Award. So he starts to kind of do more, less Oscar Beatty movies and much more of a kind of film bro like just like electric kind of films and, and, and eclectic also as well. Like this, this is, I mean, John Woo's. This is John Woo's first Hollywood movie, essentially, or first movie where he had complete Hollywood control. Right, um, yeah. And it's, it's, Face Off is fantastic. And Con Air, I think, is one of the more interesting studies of what character acting can be. Absolutely. The, <laughs> what, a, what a stacked bench of guys in, in that film. And an interesting relationship to Cage, too, because Cage, it was, it was his breakout into I am going to do like pop commercial films, you know, because you, you're right. He, he had just won for, I think, Zandali um, a couple years earlier. And he obviously did like, you know, Red Rock West and uh, I think leaving was leaving Las Vegas like right before this as well in 95. I actually think he won for leaving Las Vegas. Oh, did he win for leaving Las Vegas? Wow. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I, I might have got those mixed up. Zandali is the much weirder one. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yes, I think he did win. I think you're right for for leaving Las Vegas. I feel like I remember actually watching that acceptance speech with uh, Patricia Arquette was was there because they eventually did bringing uh, bringing out the dead together as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think he he t- he took away that he, from that Oscar. He was like, I'm gonna make fucking jerry bruckheimer films he did the rock then followed the rock straight into con air and as jason mentioned yes these are not only are these both 1997 i want to clarify too though june 1997 um right so like that is this is actually going to be i think one of the rare times on the podcast we are talking about a possible pairing that people actually watched theatrically when they came out someone in late June 1997, hadn't seen Con Air, which came out early in the month, and waited until Face Off came out and went and double featured these two films and had their minds absolutely melted by the maximalist summer action nonsense of, yeah. of these two films. <laughs> they came out as a changed person, absolutely. I mean, after seeing this, this might be the best. This might be the best uh, year for an actor like ever. <laughs> it's crazy to think that those those came out like literally back to back he shot them back to back and both have like high concept screenplays that are so ridiculous they basically feel like they were written as parodies of like the late 80s or early 90s action style with, yeah. the, you know, the use of the, the the style and the narrative tropes and everything. But they're just directed with such a level of commitment to the bit that they are just like real deal, glorious uh, spectacle. So, yeah, we're going to talk Jerry Bruckheimer and Simon West doing knockoff Michael Bay, Tony Scott on, on an airplane prison break movie, which is just a psycho premise uh, in and of itself. Um, <laughs> it's great. But it, it's great. I actually don't think people I, I, or. I shouldn't say people. Me, I actually don't think I realize just how self-aware the movie is. It's literally called Con Air, like comics yeah. on an airplane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so yeah. Un- unreal. Like you could that is like classic studio executive brain mindset where he walks and he goes up to the whiteboard and he's like Con Air, and all, people just start like hooting and hollering when they, they start figuring it out. It's the um, same thing with face. Off. It's the same like deal. They even have two words beautiful. in the title because, yeah, yeah, of course, and John Woo's glorious masterpiece of uh, d- destructive ballet and the most mega acting that has like ever been put on screen. And and just personally, one of Jamie and I's favorite films. One of the films we watched together before we started the podcast and just went yeah. at our you know faces absolutely melted uh, by it. And we knew one day this was going to be a big episode, and we were eventually going to get to it. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> that day is coming. Electric, electric. I'm really happy to be here. Let's do this, guys. Let's do it. All right. So that being said, I think we're going to jump right into it here. Let's start things off with Con Air. I'm Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer of The Rock. Nicholas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich. Where are they going to land this thing? How do you feel about the blackjack tables? On June 6th. Directed by Simon West. Thank you, and have a pleasant flight. All right, we are talking Con Air, the 1997 American action thriller uh, film directed by Simon West, produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, and starring an all-timer cast, including Nick Cage, John Malkovich, John Cusack, Ving Rhames, Dave Chappelle, Steve Buscemi, Danny Trejo, and many, many others. We can't we can't even get that uh, t- too deep into it <laughs> here, because we, we will just as as the we break down some of the scenes. Um, and uh, but but this is 
is obviously this is kind of the Nick Cage show double feature. And we've talked about Nick Cage, obviously, on quite a few episodes on the show with with Hessa. We talked about Vampire's Kiss just a couple weeks ago with Wyatt. We talked Raising Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I think we've also talked Joel Schumacher's 8mm, Brian De Palma's Snake Eyes. So he's obviously yeah. just one of our favorite actors simply because of how diverse his career is and how ambitious his physical performances are. We've talked many times about his love of, you know, silent era expressionist uh, expressionism and, you know, his willingness to go big and expressive with his face or his body and, and make, you know, moves that would embarrass another actor, but he's not afraid to. And it yeah. just, it, it makes him really special. And which is why I'm glad that, you know, we've already talked about manic weirdo cage. We've talked about Looney Tune cage and like corrupt slime ball cage. It is finally time to talk about Nicolas Cage action star, which uh, other than, yes. you know, the, the rock was kind of seen as sort of the transition period to that because Jerry Bruckheimer was like the guy at the time. We've also talked about him on our, I think when we did uh, top gun uh, <laughs> episode and days of thunder episode that we did, he's just, he is the defining like coked out eighties pop, you know, uh, star vehicle music video advertisement action film producer who basically kickstarted the careers of Tony Scott and Michael Bay did things like, you know, not just the rock and top gun, but like crimson tide, bad boys, Beverly Hills cop Armageddon and his formula and style probably immediately was just con- into your mind just listing some of those titles like his the, the huge <laughs> yeah. slow-mo the pop rock the blaring saturated you know oranges the you know the uh the, the crazy camera maneuvering and uh, you know just uh, all of the stuff that he was you know p- sort of pioneering in terms of what was crass and commercial in the 1980s and 1990s with michael bay and uh with tony scott and yeah, you say what you will about the man, but he he absolutely knew who to hire. <laughs> That's for damn yeah. sure. Yeah, well, and, and, and these movies, honestly, well, especially I'll say Con Air does because it and, and it sounds like it basically was that Bruckheimer was at the point where he was ready to basically parody his own formula and, and style right. and blow it up to certain cartoon levels because he came up with this concept. It sounds like himself. He was like a prison break movie, but it's on a plane. It's called Con Air. <laughs> yeah. And apparently his producing partner, longtime partner, Don Simpson, did not like this concept at all. He was like, this is fucking stupid. I don't want anything to do with this. And this movie <laughs> is at partially why the two might have even broken up because uh, Don Simpson only died, I think, a, 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 year, or two, a year or two after. But they actually did break up. Um, and what apparently Don Simpson um, involved with uh, with him. Is it is it because of like, why would he think that this one is particularly more stupid than some of the other big blockbusters i don't know maybe he thought he was leaning too far into the stupidity and audiences wouldn't accept it or something like that like (laughs) you could say i guess with the rock it's like taken seriously in a sense even though it's super over the top and whatever same with top gun and all of that but i guess when it comes to this it does become more parody a little bit of satire and so i guess he wasn't interested in that yeah i mean in fairness in the movie uh, they constantly, and we'll talk about more later, but they constantly keep talking about like, wow, all of this, us on this airplane. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, always it's, just like, oh, these guys, oh, one guy, all these guys on one airplane? Like, that's like the running joke. <laughs> yeah, it's very self-referential the entire time. They, I th- they even have characters, and they do it in both movies, where they're outwardly saying like how insane the situation is that they're in. Um, so the, the, it is very self-aware in that sense. 
Yeah, well, well, and, and it sounds like, again, like Bruckheimer just came up with a, a like an, an absurd concept and was like, OK, now let's hire the team who could like, you know, kind of put this put this together. So maybe it was the fact that it was reverse engineered and it wasn't like, you know, a writer came to them with a spec script and then they just kind of decided to blow it up with their own commercial style that they have. Or, you know, maybe that mm-hmm. was why Don Simpson had colder feet about it. Um, I, I do know that like this wasn't handed to their best, for example, like it doesn't sound like Bay or Scott were interested in this and which is why it's directed by a guy named Simon West who happened to be another British music video and commercial director brought over to the United States just like Tony Scott so clearly they were like we wanted Tony Scott we found a guy who's sort of like Tony Scott and who would also do a big flashy you know like American popcorn movie like Top Gun like like how he did and you know the formula really worked for us but it's interesting to look at the rest of West's career because yes clearly he is just you know doing a copycat technique of style because you know he nothing else that he made basically ended up looking like this not his tomb raider movie that he did with angelina jolie not his Mm -hmm. expendable sequel that he did his stupid horror when a stranger calls uh yeah that one's a really dull one he 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 didn't quite know how to do suspense he's a little bit at least a little (laughs) bit better at the big action stuff yeah, well, well, it also helps that he had, you know, sort of people to model it after. Like, it's so mm-hmm. much like yeah. diet Michael Bay in terms of what he's trying to do visually and with the camera and everything. Oh, like, yeah, it, Con it, it, Air is like, it, it really does feel like it was Michael Bay's assistant that did this. But he, like, <laughs> knew all the tricks, but not quite how to apply them with, a, with as much electricity. Um, and don't get me wrong, I, I really do enjoy this movie. Con Air is, is great. It seems like, I don't know if Simon West... Uh, he was just very good at replicating maybe because with this one, although it isn't Michael Bay, he gets pretty close and that is something interesting to look at. Yeah. It still tastes pretty good, you know? Yeah, exactly. There's such a maximalism. There's such an unabashed maximalism with Bay compared to West where Mm -hmm. you can kind of, it's not quite as like full throttle. It's like a movie like bad boys Two compared to like a movie like con air. It's just completely different. You know what yeah. I mean? Like this, yeah. there's just something about Bay where he's leaning into everything, and he's like does not care. There's such a big maximalism with Bay. There's such like a, a maximalist ambition with Bay that like West is missing a little bit when you watch this. Yeah, you, um, you you can you can tell that it's been grafted into the concept. Like the concept is we need to go big, we need to go crazy. The actors are game to go to that place with him. But in terms of style, he and and the style works. Like it like the, we'll we'll talk about it. But like the movie definitely works and it accomplishes what it's setting out to do. It is one of those things where you kind of go it is clear west is just not as much of a visual technician and he's not as amazing with some of the clean cutting you know the fights especially in this i do think are pretty uh inelegant and they just kind of crank up the electric guitars and are like that's good enough you know he he hits the guy yeah so so there's a little bit of a yeah there's a little bit of like a generic copycat element to it and part of it is west part of it is the fact that you know you just have like the guy who wrote like venom and like the jumanji movies (laughs) for the rock is like you know coming up with this this concept although i will say there are some pretty crazy turns of phrase and and dialogue in here i think around this time this writer had just done uh he was he did gone in 60 seconds also starring cage he did kangaroo jack (laughs) which we did we did find out that's electric he did kangaroo jack that's kind of fire yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. and we did find out with kangaroo jack when we were making jokes about it in the discord that it was originally supposed to be like an r-rated crime film and then the studio i think is what cut it down and made and then put the cgi kangaroo in a lot more and and all that and turned it into a kid's film 
Um, yeah. So there probably maybe there was some elements that he would. Maybe be there was. At maybe there's more connective lost. tissue there than you'd think. I've yeah. always thought that Jerry O'Connell should have had a uh, a, a, a second life. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, you, so you got a writer of of all of this. Also high fidelity. I forgot. That's kind of that yeah. kind of gets thrown in there a little bit too. But and mm. and and then shot by David Tattersall, who's probably better known for his digital photography on you know the the George Lucas Star Wars prequels, the Wachowski sisters Speed Racer. But also shot right. a whole bunch of hilarious trash into the 2000s. The Keanu Reeves Day the Earth Stood Still remake. That other gloriously bad Cage movie, uh, Next, where he plays oh, yeah. Chris Angel if he could see into the future, like Deja Vu style. Yes. Um, Amazing. And w- w- what's just crazy is to see that nobody else's work who worked on this film, not the writer, director, cinematographer, nothing else they ever shot in their career ended up looking like this ever again. I know, so I will I, so so I am going to say that I think the auteurism bona fides here are going to have to be laid at Jerry Bruckheimer's feet because this movie mm-hmm. is full throttle a Jerry Bruckheimer movie. You could watch this a lot. You could pair it with The Rock. You could pair it yep. with Crimson Tide. You could pair it with one of the Tom Cruise ones even a little bit. And there is some crossover in some of the crazy, you know, dollies and the sunsets and the music. And I mean, the the, the, the pop country ballad in this one that was both nominated for an Oscar and a Razzie uh, <laughs> for best say, and yeah. worst song of the year. Uh, <laughs> it's, it straight up sounds like it could have been like a, a Top Gun B-side or something thing like that you know so this is this is absolutely this is the jerry bruckheimer show with the huge epic dolly pan uh, maneuvers and it's so ridiculous in conception and the character actors uh as jason was saying are just so uh into this and this still just kind of ends up working and i will say also this movie gets the bump that all of these movies kind of do from this era now where it's just like Man, look at the effects. Look at the effort oh, yeah. and the analog yeah. the explosions yeah. and the, the miniatures they would have had to build, at you the, know? <laughs> at the beginning of the movie, the opening credit scenes with the rain and the oil rig that's in the background and like yeah. the Mobile, Alabama kind of like that the, the stuff that like that's not happening anymore. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. We talk about it all the time now how it's like everything that would have been done now in this movie would have looked like CGI would have had less much less miniature sets like I mean you know we'll get to it but the but the end when they do the whole Vegas strip uh, uh, crash and everything like that like most of that's miniature work and it just all those things just add an extra weight and life to a movie and um, yeah I just I, I miss this kind of filmmaking especially when it comes to the big action blockbusters it's so it just feels so massive it, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's massive a, it's squibs massive explosions you know yeah <laughs> And then massive egos and massive characters. You just love to see it. The characters are like just they're they're such as and also just huge like huge uh, attempts at like feelings and emotions that the movie maybe doesn't necessarily yeah, earn in terms of character specificity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really sentimental. It's wild. Like it even yeah. starts with like you know Cage like being like you know uh, he, he goes down to his wife's stomach when he's he's still a soldier you know before he's the the con uh and um and he's saying like is that my daughter in there and it just it almost feels like something you'd see and i, I say this uh uh sometimes on the show honestly maybe too often but it does feel like a parody that you'd see in something like the simpsons or south park where you know it's just like it's my baby that whole thing um and I just I love how overly sentimental it is. And even when he, you know, he gets in the fight with the people that are hitting on his wife and this is how he gets to be a, um, an inmate. 
uh, you know, it's pouring rain and you just see like his saddened face as he's getting beat up um, in front of his wife before he finally fights back. And it's, it's just, I love the sentimentality. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The, 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 the hound dog guy, the hound dog guy, is that Wayne Grove, by the way? Uh, am oh. I bugging? I, 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 I do you know what? I, I didn't clock it actually, but that, that might be because there are so many faces <laughs> yeah. Uh, in this movie, it's so many recognizable faces that yeah. Or is I, he? No, no, no. Sorry, he's not Wayne Grow. He looks like him a little bit. He might be Aiden from Sex in the City. Actually, sorry. Uh, yeah, okay. just, just, just another grubby guy from the mid '90s uh, who's really yeah. disgusting that they 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 love having and, and is meant to be the counterpoint to you know Nicholas uh, Cage's Cameron Poe, who is uh, one of the you know just the most honorable army ranger who has ever lived going into this i was reminded of uh the comedian uh stavi baby's review where he was basically (laughs) like you know cameron poe is perhaps the most you know heroic character in the history of modern cinema and like aside from no wait yeah kevin gage oh is it oh shit kevin gage yeah 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 let's go kevin gage as billy joe a gangster whom poe kills in self-defense god damn well there you have it wayne grow does make an appearance and nick cage does have to kill him right after the <laughs> montage of uh flags and salutes and the archival footage about all of these men who, who who have who have served their country because you know rangers rangers lead the way uh, before right. we pick up at the alabama bar and the country rock you know love ballads are playing the how do i live without you um and functionally it is like the same bar as like top like it's the it's the you know he the girl is working there you can imagine tom cruise walking into it and ordering a drink but at this time it is nick cage returning home from from desert storm and uh you know other than a proclivity towards kind of revenge and violence he is the most like upstanding man in the bar you know he's dancing with his wife he's dealing with the with the regular assholes and everything who are belittling uh him and harassing her and when he gets into the fight outside to kind of like you know it's it's clear it's in self-defense but there is like you know it's played up that he's a violent guy and and the the extremity of it the huge fire the rain the mud puddles the machinery in the back and and you have the wife before like in the bar being like no you 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 don't do that you're a change you can't go back to the old ways (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) you can't let that monster out of you like that kind of thing you can't let him you can't let him affect you yeah, exactly. No, but it, but it's but it's like, look, it, righteous ultra violence can be done well. You know, that's like right. that's it, it, that's what the movie is ultimately <laughs> about. Is you need a Cameron Poe to know when when to do it and to know when to fight for the right helpless person. And 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 in this case, you know, he accidentally kills one of the blue collar assholes who is you know disrespecting him and his wife. And his lawyer too also says, you know, you should plead guilty because if you plead guilty, you only get one year. He's like, but I'm not guilty. Like it was self defense. But he pleads guilty anyway and the judge goes because you are a walking talking deadly weapon with all your training 10 years and yeah. all of a sudden it's like the raising arizona montage in prison where it's just like you know he's you know he's watching his good old <laughs> yeah. southern daughter grow up in the letters he's working out his body and his mind he's, he's got, got his the textbooks. alabama accent and everything nick cage's way, alabama like how, accent is incredible oh, yeah. it's incredible i i also like how the con air uh, uh, 
like the Con Air credit pulls up right after his girlfriend's like crying in court. It's like Con Air, and then it like goes to like it's almost yeah. like it's a like gunshot into go. the face of the audience, like Con Air. There it is. And I like how like they show how focused he is and how he doesn't get into any trouble. So he's you know he's only working out, writing letters to his daughter, and ignoring all of the riots that are going out on it in his cell because he just can't be a part of them. He's just staying good so that he can get there on July fourteenth. And yep. uh, that's the date. That's the important date when he yeah, gets he's to like get Jesus. out. He's almost like Jesus. He's like, <laughs> it's, it's the blames. He's like, the blame's on me. Gotta, f- gotta take the blame. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. And the way they I shoot him package. too, like there's, there's two different shots that would remind you of Michael Bay. Once again, Michael Bay would probably add like a spin in there or something, but they do have a couple, uh, <laughs> the big, big push in on the breeze yeah, blowing the, through yeah, his hair. <laughs> yeah. Which is great. And then of course the big one, uh, that we see a little later in the desert where he does like a wink and then walks away from the camera after successfully tricking one of the bad guys. Um, yeah, so yeah, he incredible. is definitely painted as like just this, this untouchable hero who's more intelligent, but also more, um, you know, emotionally intelligent as well. He's willing to love and he's got something to fight for, you know? Yeah. Well, and I also love how this is kind of a movie in and of itself. Like here's just a guy who goes to prison. He comes out, you know, you know, a little bit of a rehabilitated man. He gets on parole. He's going to see his daughter. That is like kind of just, you know, you're you're setting up a movie as is. But then it's like the, the, the Jerry Bruckheimer touch is okay. So we've set up this you know, this this great arc for this army ranger who did something bad and is, you know, rehabilitated. What if when he's being transported home, he has to be transported on the Fairchild C-123 Jailbird, the sweet bird of freedom, a ship designed to transport exclusively the worst of the worst criminals? Um, yes. And then he has to go diehard mode like on that plane essentially he needs to you know you know they they start doing a prison break on on board and this is clearly set up just for the different taglines that they could use because i i kind of scrubbed <laughs> the internet looking for some of the various taglines that they used and it was like putting all their rotten criminal legs in one airborne basket <laughs> or um they were on deadly ground but now they have wings you know <laughs> or or uh, i think i think yeah, I think one character in the movie says one too, where he's like, you know, somehow they managed to get every creep and freak in the universe on this one plane, you know, yeah. like that's yeah. <laughs> it's such like a ridiculous concept and it really is made or broken on the actual criminals that you have on your plane because if if this if this element of it i don't think works this is not as fun to watch it's probably a bit of a chore to watch at two hours long but the fact that yeah every character is given a really really quick you know uh cliche setup and then they just have them collide into each other at like yes. a breakneck pace and they just go, that's your movie. That's all you need to do. It almost doesn't matter that yeah. technically these aren't really written characters that much. They, there is some personality to their dialogue. I imagine some of it also was just the actors finding the personality on set a little totally. bit, too. And in how they collaborated, I did read a, a interview with Danny Trejo where he said that there was so much like active t- testosterone on set that they were like, you know, like one, one actor would like try to spit like the biggest glob of spit onto the floor and all the other actors would like kind of imitate him and see if they could get it further. And he was like, there was like an infectious tough guy energy to having all of these vibe, you know? 
Yeah. That's so funny. That's they were so wild and weird. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. It's also like even the, the plot itself, like it, it seems like a simple enough plot, but then they start to involve like the John Cusack character in the DEA and <laughs> then all this like it, it, at a certain point, they even stop halfway through the movie to go to a certain spot to pick up more prisoners. So you have more personalities coming on board to interact with the rest of the the people you are already familiar with uh, in the first half of the movie. Um, and it just it does create different uh, scenes and just different environments for them to interact in uh, over and over and over again. And I, I agree. It, it seems like this wouldn't work for two hours, but. They just they figured out how to have these very simple, easy under, to understand personalities, um, but are so different from one another that they can't help but clash whenever there is finally the scene that they interact in. It's uh, it, it, and it just yeah, it milks that for two hours. It's great. Yeah, it's so wild just yeah. holding on to all of these various characters that you've got because we're introduced to them almost like. You're, uh, you know, the you're, you're looking characters. At, yeah. Or way. yeah, you're, you're looking at like a, like, like a lineup or something like that too. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have the one mass murderer, William Bedford played by Nick Chinlund, who's the guy who killed his wife and his family and her dog. And I think Steve Buscemi at one point is like, you know, he's a, he's just misplaced rage, like name your cliche, you know, mother held him too much or not enough. He's last picked at yeah. kickball, <laughs> you know, what, whatever, you know, now he's angry and he just fucking freaks out. Um, you have a Straight up uh, serial rapist, uh, John Baca, Johnny 23, played by Danny, Danny Trejo. They all have like like wrestler names. Yeah, I, like how Ma- I like how John Makovich's character like does not respect Danny Trejo. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, he's like rape. Not my kind of thing. Yeah, no, like <laughs> n- n- nobody can because Danny Trejo's entire personality, like he all but says like, you know, my thing is raping and boy, I love <laughs> raping. You know, like that. Basically, that that is that is his character. He literally has a line where 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 he's like, that's just like the he actually is like the most evil guy in the whole shit. He's just like, oh, this is just my shit. That's all I do. Oh, yeah. He's totally set up there so that you get the punchline of Nick Cage when he eventually gets into the huge fight with all of them. And he's smashing his face into a steel cage. And you get Cage shouting, don't treat women that way. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this is a feminist film. <laughs> it really is such a feminist. It's incredible. Yes, it's it such is. a feminist movie. Um, <laughs> by the way, I also love Sergeant Trucker from Heat, uh, McKetty Williamson as Baby O, yep. the cellmate. Oh, yep. yeah. Baby O is great. Yeah. I love, I want to like just name off some of these names because you're right. Every con uh, has a, a nickname of some kind and you have like the virus, the Marietta Mangler. Oh yeah. Well, I was going to say not, not only that Cyrus, the virus, which is oh, so right. That's, like yes. that, that just, that just feels like a wrestler name. <laughs> I love the, I, I love the big Cyrus guy. is the best. I mean, he's the, he's the greatest. <laughs> I love the big guy with the long hair who at first I thought was actually, uh, um, oh, what's his name? He's the, the snake. Uh, he was a, a, an older wrestler, really huge guy with long hair. But anyway, um, he uh, his name is Swamp Thing, <laughs> and they oh and yes, it's, Swamp it's so yeah. funny Played by too, MC Ganey, Yes, they don't just have uh, you know a moment or two, or maybe when they're just interacting with each other, and that's when they say the name. Once you hear the nickname, that's how they're referenced by every character throughout the entire movie. So it's so yeah. Funny. Speaking of comics too, calling him Swamp Thing, that's so yeah. Funny. It's so funny to just watch them in dialogue be like, "We've got to get Diamond Dog," and Swamp Thing is on the run, or he stole yeah. the plane, or like whatever it is. It's just it's. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's, Diamond Dog, want, fucking Ving Rhames, uh, who they, oh, they yeah. introduce as, you know, a quote unquote former general of the black gorillas who blew up a meeting at the NRA saying, I quote, they represented the basest negativity of the white race. And he wrote a book in prison <laughs> called Reflections in a Diamond Eye, which the New York Times called a wake up call for the black community. And they're ta- they're talking to Denzel about the movie rights. <laughs> that shit was so yo that when I so this is actually my first time watching Con Air. So that shit when I saw it, I had to like pause it and replay it. I was like, yo, that's so funny. It's like, such a crazy line. <laughs> it's such a crazy line. Like the racial. We'll get to the racial humor in this later too. In this movie, the racial humor in this movie is insane. It's, insane. it's like Sopranos level to me. Well, yeah, they yeah, they, they, they basically have Dave Chappelle introduced so that they can be like, how racist can you be to the one indigenous prisoner for like five minutes? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, and, no, and that no. also set him on fire. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is just how about how about on the way to the plane, Guard Bishop and Poe and their interaction. Guard Bishop's like, "You got you got something to live for there, Poe." Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> po, like Poe shows his daughter, and she's like, "You got to, you got something to be straight with, Poe." <laughs> or, 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 or what does he say? <laughs> Uh, She's like you got some you got something to live uh, 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 live straight with or whatever yeah live straight for or something it's like pretty that. Yeah, it's pretty like, wild the so- way that eventually I think even Malkovich's character uh, starts saying really offhanded shit about his daughter by the end of this just to get him pissed off like so some of the dialogue is real like seedy and gross um, and in it a, is. in a mostly entertaining way but it it does. Uh, get close to the threshold, which is, you know, probably part of its charm, but it's, it's wild. Oh yeah. I mean like one of the most bad taste things I've ever seen in a like summer pop blockbuster movie is when they eventually introduce Steve Buscemi, who is basically given (laughs) like the, the full on like Hannibal Lecter mode treatment as he's loaded into the plane. You know, they, they all talk about him. Like, you know, he makes the Manson family look like the Partridge family, you know, and he's got like the evil middle part hair that he's got. And his whole deal is that, you know, he has murdered like 30 something people, a lot of women specifically. And he has literally he says a line at one point where he's like he drove across three states wearing one of the girls uh, on his head like a hat. Um, yeah. So he is like just like the, a, an absolute psycho Ted Bundy style murderer. And there's a whole sequence during one of the action scenes where they keep cutting away to him who has like escaped from the fighting and is just kind of hanging out in the periphery on near the, the desert strip. And he is there's a whole cross cutting back and forth tension established with he runs into a little girl who's having a little tea party by herself next to the airfield. And it's and the whole it's a will they won't they sort of tense moment. And it, it's literally is he going to assault this child and wear her like a skin suit? Like that yeah. is the tension of the scene, which is just how long Wild. they let that thought linger in the audience's mind is yeah, it's like the genuinely action sequence. Fucking, they just keep cutting back to it. And it's, it's psychotic. It's, it's so strange too, because during that action sequence, like we've been saying with the movie, it's very big and over the top. So you're kind of going through like these explosive shots and then you go back to this and it's just this mix of like explosive action that's over the top and just some of the most gross 
context of a man and a little girl talking that you could possibly come up with. <laughs> and they just I keep know, going back insane. and forth, back and forth. Your brain just gets like shattered, essentially. <laughs> she's like, Miss, she's like, Mister, you look sick. He's like, What makes you think that? <laughs> yeah. oh my At one God. point, he starts like singing like one of the little like nursery rhymes with her or something like that. Or he's, or yeah. it's, uh, he's got the whole world in his hands or whatever, right? Or something like that. Yeah. 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 The whole world in his hands. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, oh, man. and that's kind of like the, the signifier that he's decided not to slaughter this poor defenseless six year old. Yeah, that's that was the that, that so was nice good. of him. It's, it's it's a more righteous decision than you would expect made of uh, Cyrus the virus played by John Malkovich, who is just absolutely oh, so good chewing through the entire movie honestly it's not far off from uh, some of his performance lines that he was doing in uh, in the line of fire dude with, i was uh, just clint, gonna say yes clint, yes. clint eastwood yeah. which we talked about a few months back with with, with will meniker and we just went wild for his performance in that film and you can feel like he was probably cast in this because of that and he yeah. is just like the he is the smart asshole of the entire crew they're just like you know he's really bettered himself inside he's earned two degrees including his juris doctorate um he's uh, also killed 11 fellow inmates incited three riots and escaped twice and he likes to brag that he's killed more men than cancer <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> oh, malkovich man. is incredible on in this like i mean the line readings, the swagger, yeah. Yeah, the like kind of like weird like smile he has, where his like teeth are kind of yellow, but they're still kind of like pretty. <laughs> He's kind of unreal in the sense that he always just kind of looks like your average dude. Like in also this, the he's beard. got the bald head and a goatee, but he yeah. is the coolest motherfucker that you've ever seen on screen, no matter what. It's it. He's unbelievably charismatic. It's just it's yeah. crazy his skill at just delivering, and he'll deliver like incredibly evil lines. Um, and I think most actors, when doing this, would probably go for a more over the top quality of of delivering. But he just finds this way of making it condescending and uh, <laughs> and just. He's very comfortable with saying it a lot of the yeah. time when his character. He also do it. loves to extend lines and over enunciate lines to the yes. point where they, they they sound like like a way that a normal person wouldn't say them, which kind of yeah. leads you to believe that they have more like conviction or like venom to them the way that he says them. Like one of my favorite lines is during the prison break sequence itself, which is wild because mm -hmm. they're midair, all the prisoners, Dave Chappelle lights one of the prisoners on fire. It starts a whole kerfuffle with, with the guards. And then Ving Rhames is like immediately like cutting guards throats with handcuffs, which you see in gruesome detail. There's like crazy, you know, huge squibs and Dutch angles and slow motion electric guitar licks while they're all, you know, the, you know, starting to kill the guards and, and, and take their way over. And John Malkovich eventually, gets a gun and gets into the cabin where he, he has the, the pilot at, at gunpoint. And he's basically like, you know, you're going to tell them that everything is fucking okay. And he's just like, or I'm going to shoot you. He's like, well, you can't shoot me. Like I, I'm the pilot. Who's going to fucking fly the plane? And he's just like, do I look like a sane person? Like, yeah. I don't think, I don't think that far ahead. So <laughs> I, I will literally just fucking shoot you if you don't do what I say. He's like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And he says, and you better or else. And this line stuck in my head for days after watching it. The next set of wings you'll see are the flies buzzing around your rotting corpse. And like, yeah. that's how he delivers lines. It's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. And he does. Yeah. It's kind of like a, 
like almost a breathiness in between certain words to elongate them. And yeah, yeah the enunciation. On this like is your watching. captain speaking. Yeah. Welcome to con air. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's just, he's so fucking good. He, he knows exactly what he's doing, but he has such a level of control. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't let himself get too excited, even though you'd think that he would, um, in this just kind of position that he's in with this character, but he, yeah. the, the level of control and charisma is unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. It has kind of like a combination of both control and charisma. It's yeah. really interesting. Um, as opposed to like the next movie we're going to talk about, and as opposed to other performances in this one, which are kind of like purposely over the top. Like I think Malkovich is like it, he brings such a professionalism to this over the top movie, totally. and he kind of can make it so real mm-hmm. to the point where it's like okay, you actually believe everything that's happening because he's just so controlled with everything. It's I, I think he's great. Yeah, it is smart for him I, to be yeah. like grounded uh, as opposed to some of the other ones. Um, uh, even though like none of them and, and for good reason, don't go as over the top as when we'll get to like face off and stuff, but there's like a core <laughs> reason for that. But Malkovich definitely has more of a grounded sense to him so that be- because he's, he's kind of the main focus, right? Whether it be cage or Malkovich, that's usually what it's, it's focusing on. And then, you know, they'll cut back to the DEA and Cusack and stuff like that to set something up usually for those two characters to inter- have a new interaction with. Um, so yeah, you, you kind of need that. And not to say though, like cage isn't speaking on his performance. He does have that, like what we were talking about, the sentimentality aspect of it. He is, he does have some, some, some wild deliveries that we're used to. Like when he, you know, uh, I think he realizes that he's not going to possibly be able to see his daughter when he wanted to. So he lets out this kind of like scream, um, just kind of out of nowhere, uh, at least in the sense that it goes from zero to 100 in the energy, which we're very used to from him. But I, I you know, th- it really fits in this kind of movie. But a lot of the time he is just kind of playing a that kind of um, that 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 action hero where he's just tough. He's in the tank top. He's uh, he's intelligent enough to play with the prisoners. Um, but ultimately yeah, the, 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 the way that cage family. performs as like one of the like just as psychotic prisoners who wants to be involved with them. He spends yes. about half the movie like pretending that he's on their side while also secretly, you know, making moves um, against them essentially mm-hmm. uh, because he is because basically they just do the diehard thing. You know, he's got to be John McClane. He's you know, he's an, he's he's on the plane. And he could subvert their plans from the inside and he can also protect some of the people who need protection because at one point they actually do say, hey, whoever wants off can just get off on the next stop because part of their plan is they're actually going to land the plane, pick up some more prisoners, then take the plane to, you know, like a, a non-extradition a non-extradition country or whatever. So that's how they plan on that's that's kind of like their overall plan, which is a ridiculous yeah. plan. Yeah. There's a lot of moving <laughs> re- parts to that plan. <laughs> it's really ridiculous, but I love the scene where they transfer the guys from what the plates and and then and a given like and then they they get swamp thing and they get the few other guys mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah the, like the, the fact that they scenes. have to do it in a sandstorm like and they have to dress the guards yeah. up as the prisoners and like load them off and be, know. you know and then they dress up as <laughs> the, the guards, guards are just so tight the guards are just so fucking pissed too and like they're like, they're like talking but they're like fucking muffled and shit yeah <laughs> like, it's great i was also thinking it's when so they chaotic. when they come up with their plan and they say like we're gonna go to a, a different country where we're um we, we won't be uh, in trouble any longer and 
And then they, they mentioned something like it's going to be paradise and all that. I'm like, it doesn't seem like you've thought about like after you land, how you're going to set up this little, like, I don't know what it'd be like a compound and of prisoners and you're just going to live happily ever after with like hookers and rum. And like, I don't know what, what would be <laughs> heaven to them, but you know, it, it, it's, I like that. They're just like, we'll get to that, that, you know, whatever country it happens to be. And it's smooth sailing from there. No problems. <laughs> they don't really no, well, uh, well, talk I, about I, it. I mean, even, even, even how committed cage is to like actually stopping them as well. You feel like another version of this movie would have more of like a moral reckoning about like, you know, can he really help the, you know, the, the, the one like female guard on the plane, Sally Bishop. Can he mm-hmm. actually get, uh, the, the, the ticking time clock element where uh, baby is his, it was his friend is diabetic and he has to get <laughs> right. him his insulin within two hours or he's going to die. Like that's another element that gets thrown at him. And he's like, I can save all of these people. And there's no way that that guy got his insulin in time based on the time frame that they set up in the movie. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely. and he also gets shot at one point, too. But that ends up kind of working out for him. But. It's one of those things where he is like cartoonishly heroic and like willing yes, to go yeah. the extra mile for even just one person, um, even though, you know, even though it was like on the la- it's like that cl- that trope of, you know, the last day before retirement, like he was just getting out on parole. He was just right. about to go see his family. And now he's got to find himself in this situation where he's doing shit like dumping corpses out of the plane, but like writing you know, messages on them for the DEA agents and stuff like that, which I was, I kind of like, are they actually going to be able to read that after that corpse like explodes? (laughs) Um, Mangled. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and they, and they do actually Um, show a very Michael Bay gag, the most Michael Bay gag in the entire movie, which is when he throws that corpse out and we actually have the camera shot that follows the dummy on its way down. Yeah. And then it crashes into the Colonel from twin peaks at, uh, I forget his name um, who just freshly waxed his car. And, you know, right. he's like really admiring the beauty of this car that he's driving around. And then a corpse fucking smashes through the windshield and like gore, you know, starts hitting them and shit like that. Yeah, uh, they do another. By the way, Chappelle, the corpse is Pinball Parker. And oh, Chappelle's it's Dave Chappelle, this, too. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah, I he did. gets run over by the landing gear trying to get back on during the, the takeoff. Which yeah. is like Chappelle is the one who like everyone was so racist to because he's like a fucking crack addict. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It, like, yeah. It gets a little <laughs> gets a little dicey. Funny. In that sense, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, I know it's it's a little it's it is a little it's funny, but it is a little dicey. But you know what's is, also yeah, really it's, funny? It's committed to it. The so. guy sitting next to Chappelle is like, I guess maybe like a uh, Native American guy. Yes, and Chappelle goes, "Don't get all wounded knee on me, man." Yeah, <laughs> and that's is that the moment that like two seconds later he sets him on fire and that's how they yeah he, the he makes riot. him the distraction by setting him on fire too right. yeah Dave, right, Dave, setting, yeah exactly. it, it does feel like they just like dropped dave Chappelle and they were like dude riff it up like yeah. just oh yeah sit, totally try and try even, and get people laughing and offended <laughs> in the cabin the line where it's like uh, uh i can't remember the line it's oh yeah he's like the, the department of a wreck i mean corrections when he's flirting with the with yes. the girl in the hangar and he's putting the transponder <laughs> in the plane like it's just it's a bunch of just ridiculous scene after yeah he's ridiculous hamming scene. it <laughs> oh yeah and i do like that they get to give him they give him like a lot of uh, physical things to do in the beginning uh because like you said he like after he sets the dude on fire as kind of the distraction to set the whole thing off he is also the one that gets like tackled against the the door from guards and then he opens up the 
um, the cages and everything like that. And he is a big mm-hmm. part of the riot. So it was kind of cool to see Dave Chappelle play something like that. Um, but he is definitely still doing his Chappelle thing, which he's very, very good at. Um, I also, uh, just speaking briefly on the Nick Cage performance too, I like, because a lot of the time when they do these these like macho hero things, even if the stakes are so large as to seeing your family again or, or something like that, they don't usually bring out that super dramatic actor side. And I like that he did like pull up the Academy Award winner out of him when they mentioned that, you know, they're not going to go to Alabama to see his um to see his daughter any longer because they've taken over the plane. He actually does have like tears in his eyes and he's crying throughout this entire thing in moments. Um, and it does add a little bit of an element that you don't normally see in these types of movies, which is kind of cool. Well, yeah, well, cause it's funny. It, it is like such like a basic emotional setup. But, yeah. Um, and totally. and also clearly just an excuse for him to do crazy violence when he eventually gets to <laughs> unleash it. Like like he's like, but it's honorable because of this right. s- cartoonishly sentimental and emotional situation that he has been put in where they have like laid it on so thick how badly he needs to get home and how good of a like how much of a model prisoner he intentionally was so that he wouldn't get into a situation <laughs> like this and become like a career criminal who's in prison for his whole life like one of these guys. And <laughs> yeah, but it, but yeah, you're right. Like, it, like the actors are still committed to that, um, mm-hmm. and it, it is it is interesting how much uh, Cage. You know, you can always see him putting the effort in, even in a lot of his like direct to video stuff when he was doing it for a while. You know, I don't. There's very few performances I've seen from him where he isn't like trying or he doesn't see something of value to do. And you know, I would. Oh yeah, he's. The, I think I saw him in an interview where because because I think some people just because he did go out and do some of those more like, I don't know what you, what you'd necessarily straight to video kind of bad Mm -hmm. action movies or bad horror movies and stuff um, that you get this idea that he would kind of phone it in. But in an interview he said like, it's like, I never try. I I truly never try to phone it in. Even if, you know, whatever the project is, I try to give my a hundred percent. And that is usually why you find when he's in something like that, there's still some parts that are gems. It's just that, a lot of the time, you know, the rest of the film doesn't really hold up. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, well, he's, luckily, he's a very committed he, he, performer, and I always have, have appreciated that about him. Yeah, and and luckily, I do think that like everyone else around him is also pretty committed. Like it sounds like oh, they yeah. were all like kind of hyping each other up, and then you know, you also have the you know the the knockoff base style that is like making everything mm-hmm. that they do seem even bigger as is. So like working all together in tandem, like this is a movie that really does, despite the fact that it's two hours long. Like it, it really does move as, you know, uh, Cage starts like earning Malkovich's trust as like the tough, like trailer trash operator who wants to be free with them. And but but meanwhile, sneaking information to John Cusack's U.S. Marshal and the DEA agent played by uh, Calmini. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some of great, by the way, also love his car. Oh, yes yeah. that gets just wrecked his car <laughs> gets like wrecked. the yeah. craziest cameo which which apparently was the um uh like one of the huge like trailer shots apparently that was like the the moment oh, in 1997 yeah. they were trying to sell everyone on which was like you know you know john cusack takes his car all the way to the desert strip where they're doing their landing and the car gets mixed up in the plane when they're trying to take the plane off again and they literally start dragging the car behind the plane on a wire 
and it, you know it's this big fancy sports car it breaks off it crashes everywhere and it, it, it does get lead to like one of the defining lines of the movie which is nick cage just looking at this car latched onto the plane just being like you know on any other day that might seem strange but today <laughs> yeah. is like a crazy day where if you see something physically absurd like that it kind of just makes a whole lot of sense on on this specific day because there's like crazy yep. shit that happens in that movie that fucking lunchbox uh, prison oh, bomb yeah. with like just colorful liquid vials in it that look like straight out of a comic book or something. And before that, with, they they find out like where they're going because Malkovich has left this like symbolic a bunch of pictures that have the eyes cut out that perfectly align with letters. He's that, left like a paper trail of like Da Vinci Code clues. Yeah, yeah Da Vinci Code <laughs> clues. Is the great way to put it. And then he's got like a fucking outline of a huge ass airplane too. It's like he's got like everything in there. And then the fact that they didn't check this before he got on the plane too was really funny. Like, oh yeah, it's hilarious that they like, they, like Cyrus they basically just open up the cell and it's all there, and you're just like, what have you guys been doing for so long? You just let this guy have the anarchist cookbook. I don't think that was a very good idea. Um, yeah, it's it's yeah. very funny, and I while the that. agents are starting to put the pieces together, where they're like, oh my god, all the killers, thieves, and rapists we put on one plane, they've all unionized you know like oh shit <laughs> yeah. like what are we what the fuck are we gonna do <laughs> and you know they uh but they're like well there's one guy on there who's a u.s army ranger who only committed normal guy manslaughter <laughs> so you know we can we, we, we can ask him to help and i love that colmini <laughs> who, who is as jason said he's very good and also uh loved him recently in that nick winding refin miniseries uh too old to die young um he's on oh, that one yeah. episode where uh the, the the mandy episode with with miles teller um uh driving as one of the brothers who's feeling really sad um, yes yeah. But I love yeah. that that he that he gets the line where he's just like, dude, we can't trust one guy up there. You know, they don't believe in law or like <laughs> civilization up there. And John Cusack gets to hit him back with such a writerly line of the degree of civilization in society can be judged by observing its prisoners. <laughs> Dostoevsky said that after doing a little time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. I, I also love just his very blatant yelling director DEA guy performance too when he's saying things like um, uh, this is a situation that needs to be unfucked right now <laughs> that kind of shit yeah he's also at one so point blunt. him and Cusack both are just allowed to get into like attack helichoppers or whatever <laughs> and just start like firing rockets at the plane because like the whole premise is like you know they're just going well we're just going to shoot the plane down we're just going to blow up all the criminals in one yeah, place who cares? <laughs> exactly. yeah that's kind of how they're going about it and that, I like that the whole with with um, with Cold Meany his whole like arch is essentially that he becomes first he's like a homicidal DEA agent and he becomes not a homicidal DEA agent and he decides not to blow up the plane. <laughs> it's great. That is a great arc. That's a great. <laughs> that is a great arc. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but, but 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 all hell breaks loose in like the second half of of the film when, you know, like Cage has to, you know, like that one uh wife killer is the guy who I think finds his parole letter and, and, and finds his little bunny rabbit, which is his little toy that he was going to give to his daughter when, when he met her on his birthday. It's a birthday present. Right. And that bit when he's just like, put 
bunny back in the box <laughs> and the guy and the guy doesn't really understand the severity of it so nick cage gruesomely impales the man yes because he would not put his daughter's birthday present down and finally dons his vinyl look his like you know his white tank top the blue jeans just drenched in sweat in sand in the middle of this desert airstrip that they've all landed into and he does you know basically start trying to you know get involved in a more physical sense and also trying to mm-hmm. save as many lives as possible one of my favorite moments in the entire film is between him and ving rames when uh rames is just you know as diamond dog he's like gonna just like i'm gonna execute all these pigs you know i'm gonna shoot them in the back of their heads and right. you know you know nick cage is like well we can't have that but he needs he can't also be like well you know i love guards and cops that's why you shouldn't kill them <laughs> so he's like negotiating for the value of them as leverage or whatever and uh i love when ving rames calls malkovich in because he's like hey this guy doesn't want me to kill guards that's pretty fucking suspicious you know he clearly you know he's not as immoral as us who are pulling off this crazy mission and when malkovich comes in and he's just like well it's not difficult to surmise how nathan here feels about killing guards and my own proclivities are you know, well-known and often lamented facts of penile lore. (laughs) What I'm wondering (laughs) is why you have any opinion about it at all. And Nick Cage, to his credit, actually gets to deliver a line almost as good, which is like, hey, Cyrus, you know, it's your barbecue, man, and it tastes good. But I was just explaining to Mr. Dog (laughs) that if it was my barbecue, I would wait for that old jumbo jet in the sky before I start killing, you know, my, my only leverage. And I think that's the scene that is actually being cross cut to the scene of Steve Buscemi, you know, finding a little girl in the desert and you being like, is he going to murder okay, her right. or is he going to resist that urge? You know, yeah, <laughs> just oh such God. a great I, section of the my, movie. My personal favorite dog uh, and Oseed is when Poe's like, hey, man, like, you old black power stuff. Why are you helping the white man? And <laughs> Big Ray's like, it's a means to an end, my white brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think that's really great because it's kind of sort of the subtext about like what it's like as like black nationalists. There's always a link between black nationalism, at least like the wrong kind of black nationalism. There's mm-hmm. always like a link between it and kind of like whiteness in a weird way. Like there's always like black nationalists always kind of have like this corner. It's sort of like telepathy with kind of like whiteness in this way. Like, you know, like Nation of Islam is kind of like that, where they have this telepathy with like a lot of whiteness. And so it was really funny seeing dogs say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and and, and Nick Cage also tried to play like the hillbilly card a little bit, too, where he's just like, you know, like that. That don't make much sense to me, man. I got my politics. You got your politics. Let's have a discussion about this. And he just totally says, like, you know, well, the logic of it, you know, like I'm just going to ride this until it's, you know, out of my self-interest for the time being. And then and then we'll do the plan you know <laughs> yeah 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 once once we get to that country of paradise right <laughs> we'll figure it out then yeah but that, but yeah, yeah and i i think too around this time nick cage and cusack have to have like you know like the real man-to-man where you know they're on they're on opposite sides of the law but they're kind of working together towards the same plan it, it's exactly the same relationship between the one cop in die hard who's actually like hey we should actually listen to the guy on the inside who's helping us out um but uh, 
when when it immediately switches to a dime to sentimental when John Cusack is like, I spoke to your daughter today, mm-hmm. you know, and, he, and, and he's just like, oh, man, you know, I thought I was about to see her. And, you know, I'm I'm just I'm I'm scared. I'm not going to see them. And if you speak to her again, you know, tell her that I love her, that she's my hummingbird, you know, and uh, <laughs> but I but I couldn't leave a fallen man behind, you know, and now I'm going to go save the fucking day. And yeah. right as it kicks into like the huge massive start of the action set piece that basically finishes out the film, which is, you know, the I, I think it's like the, the National Guard shows up onto the desert airstrip and all of the convicts happen to have come across a giant cargo hold of munitions, like the kind of cargo hold that <laughs> so like Wiley much. Coyote would be storing, you know, like like a huge amount of explosives and guns. Yeah, there's and like 20 organized shotguns and like, you know, a couple <laughs> AR-15. It's just unbelievably wild <laughs> what they found in there. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's massive. Like the, the the way that you know these National Guard dudes are being shot down. At one point, uh, I think is it MC Ganey who's running through the middle of the set piece on like a bulldozer. You know, like <laughs> yeah. ca- ca- cage driving like an on fire cop car into people. You know, and uh, the the one funny thing about this sequence is that at this point, the criminals and the character actors who are so like playing them so well and so slimy and so charismatically. Um, you kind of root for them against the faceless military force. It's just kind of like the logic of a scene. Like those guys are faceless. You don't know them. They're just coming in and you're like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't hate diamond dog that bad, you know, like, yeah. And (laughs) I don't want to see him get shot down. Dog and Cyrus are my guys. Cyrus Cyrus is my guy. I kind of wish Cyrus had gotten off. (laughs) And they already make Colmini out to be like just the worst human being as a DEA agent. Like Cusack has that, I'm I'm the nice guy trying to do good in the system kind of vibe with his character. Um, so by the time you see this like faceless just DEA force going up against them, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're like Malkovich, Rames, let's fucking go, just destroy them. Yeah, call call Meany has that kind of like Irish face where it's just like this guy looks like a fucking prick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. He's so <laughs> good at playing an asshole. It's unreal. I know, dude. He he should have been in The Departed or something like that. He has that kind of face. Like. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I got this has one of the funniest lines in this scene too. Um, that uh, it's when they're going after this like um this drug dealer, which is what the DEA is was originally after before all this mess uh, happens. And um, uh, Cyrus uh, is going to kill him, and he's like, kind of the fuel is coming out of the the uh, the plane that he was trying to take off of, and he gets out, and Cyrus takes a cigarette from I think it's Rame's mouth, and he flicks it, and right before he does that, the guy is like pleading for his life, so he's he says half of Cyrus, so he goes sigh, and then Malkovich goes Anara, and just lights <laughs> the guy on fire. It's one of the fucking funniest and smoothest bad guy deliveries and lines I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. It's it's hilarious. My I had my cousin beside me, um, and he like he doesn't watch too many of these uh, movies. He's a little bit younger, so he hasn't been introduced to the glory that is '90s action films. Um, but he was just like, I am changing my name to Cyrus just so I can pull that on people. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a glorious. Yeah, moment. I mean, Cyrus, Cyrus the virus. It's a really such a great name. <laughs> it is. I just I couldn't yeah. believe they found a way to to use his name as something even funnier. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and, and how big and how much the movie escalates as like the these character actors are maintaining these kind of like cool or suave performances a little bit. Oh yeah. While the movie just keeps being like, you know, now the plane is crashing through the watchtower and exploding the entire watchtower. Now John <laughs> Cusack is in a fucking helicopter chasing them in the plane. You know, now they're having fight scenes on the plane while they're being chased. And, yeah. uh, you know, a fire truck it, chase scene for God's sake and a fight scene. Well, th- this is one of the craziest things because like the, the sequence starts out this big last one when they take off from the desert airstrip and are, mm-hmm. you know, heading, heading out. I'm not exactly sure which direction if they're heading towards the country and they happen to just have to crash land in Vegas because the plane's actually getting shot down. I think that's but, what it is. Cause they say that there's like no fuel left or something. So we got to crash. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't really think that one through, <laughs> no. um, but, but, uh, you know, of course people need to start finding out, you know, Cage's identity as Cameron Poe that, you know, maybe he is actually trying to subvert their efforts a little bit and spark, you know, a fight on the plane. Well, you know, while the agents are flying, you know, the the, the choppers at them and everything. At one point, Baby O gets a shot in the gut and, uh, you know, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make it, man, you know, and, and, and there is no God. I'm not going to heaven, man. And and I love Nicolas Cage just looking at him being like, no, you're going to make it. I'm going to single handedly land this plane and get you your insulin. I'm going to kill everyone on this plane. And. I'm going to show you that God does exist. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> such a insanely confident line for someone to have to deliver. I'm going to show that, you that God exists. That's, that's how you falling. have to know that like they know like that's such a winking line. And, and to do oh, it yeah. before this final set piece goes off to like it's practically like they're saying it. I'm going to show you that God exists to the audience right as we're about to have this crazy set piece where, you know, uh, cage is going to like take gunshots point blank, you know, like in the arm and just totally tank it and keeps beating the shit out of people still. That was actually (laughs) one of the shots I remember seeing when I was younger and that, that just lives on in my mind. I actually remembered it being more gruesome because my memory just kind of projected it being like, you know, his whole shoulder was like squibbed up or something (laughs) like like that. Like they robocopped him or something. Yeah, but it, but it, it like that's how my brain remembered it from watching this because I hadn't watched this since I was like you know on cable TV when I was younger. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, but yeah, swamp thing having to land them on the Vegas Strip and like seeing the miniature of the plane rip through the hard rock cafe sign and slam into so many objects and street signs and cars and people. And <laughs> <innocent> people. people. <laughs> D- yeah. They, they, and they, they also dismember Danny Trejo who's sitting uh, in, in the uh, like on from the inside of the plane yeah. and they eventually crash into the sands hotel in Las Vegas, which was actually scheduled for demolition around the time that they were shooting this. So some of the images of the Sands Hotel blowing up is just literal documentary footage of them detonating that historic like Las Vegas landmark <laughs> that because so they were like, hey, but before ass. you blow it up, can we like crash like a plane? Into it? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> Might as well. We're not using it anymore. Yeah, so like that that's really cool. But of course, because it's a 90s action movie, you have to have a finale after the finale. This was yes. just like a thing that yes. so many of them had. One of my favorite examples, obviously Face Off is one of them, but yeah. True Lies is also my one of my other favorite yes. examples of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it leads into what Jamie was talking about with Malkovich and Rames still going strong after the plane crashes <laughs> and they literally like slink out of the plane, hijack a fire truck and then Cage and Cusack have to get on the cop motorcycles and chase after the fire truck, which turns into crazy 
you know, stunt heavy moments of like Nicolas Cage jumping off the motorcycle so that it rams into Ving Rhames and blows him up on screen so that he can then grab the ladder on the fire truck and like, you know, yeah. do the little like upside down ladder, like workout routine as he gets closer to it, as he gets also, closer to Malkovich on top. I love the that Malkovich is also on top using the hose to take down some of the cops that are behind them on the motorcycles yes. and stuff. <laughs> like they're just using the fire. Even what's just funny too, I think uh, uh, before it, before Rames dies, he's even shown in the fire like outfit and everything, which I, I just kind of found funny because like yep. throughout this whole thing you see them in like different he's undercover he's in disguise you see him in the <laughs> fire truck thing yeah he just keeps taking on like servicemen outfits as he's like doing all this crazy shit it's it's hilarious to watch I love and fighting it. on top of the fire truck while mm-hmm. going under a tunnel which oh, is like yeah. crazy uh malkovich getting stabbed through the like leg with the broken end of like the wooden spear i was like where did the spear come from too that's like a like a fucking like ancient looking spear <laughs> yeah. um I love to him getting like tied up to the the ladder itself so that he kind of gets slingshotted when they stop and he gets flown through like two <laughs> things of glass and through a bunch of electrical wiring. Um, and I couldn't tell this was was that also Malkovich that eventually gets like slid into uh, beneath this platform and then gets his head squished was that also him? yeah like, he, he he's, so yeah, he's the one who flies into like those machines they use to like uh press the uh foundations for skyscrapers right. um, yeah it's so wild and there's like a little countdown ticking clock just to satisfy your little lizard brain to be like oh man i can't wait for this thing to smash you know crush <laughs> his fucking head right just, oh my what a what a wonderfully staged uh, piece of just like old analog action craft. It's uh yeah. It's, 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 it's and and filled with like even comedic moments too. Like Malkovich just at one point punching Cage, but not punching him in the face, just punching him in the bullet wound arm, just being like, <laughs> right. you know. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get the classic, just rom- super romantic, sentimental wrap up where he finally meets. His uh, his daughter and gets to see his wife again. I really like dude that when that romantic ballad theme kicked back in, and mm-hmm. it's like it's like instant, and you, you know you can you can see like the car white passing in front of the camera, revealing that for some reason his wife and kid were driven to this sudden crash landing crime scene. <laughs> like, yeah. Where you're like, what? What? So like, hopefully <laughs> like, he lives, and if he does, Cusack was the only one who knew about them. He didn't go back yeah. and get also, them. He was. I think Cusack <laughs> is like almost like too nice to yeah. like Cage, Cage's <laughs> wife and the kid. It's almost just like, yo, what are they actually doing here? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems dangerous <laughs> to me. The, out of out of all the yeah, out of all the things that happened in this movie, that might be the most unrealistic part is the fact that like Cage's wife is just treated with like special treatment. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Just, just there. It's very also yeah, it's very the birthday funny. present bunny surviving the plane crash, so he can give it to I his know, daughter. That's like, he reaches, he reaches into the gutter to get it back. It's yeah. so funny. I like that it's covered in dirt and blood too. Oh yeah, there, and and there's still like sparks everywhere because they just detonated Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, and I like that they make it though romantic because they have like a gold lit uh, casino building lighting them up anytime that there's um, yeah like they're they're in the background and then when they go to the other way where the camera would face the other way it's just like a, a plane that has destroyed the entire vegas strip and killed probably hundreds of innocent people 
It's just such a, it's a funny thing to think about. They don't focus on that, but having this overly sentimental ending to such a ridiculous movie um, really wraps it up nicely. Yeah, well, and and also like a weirdly upbeat kind of conclusion to the whole thing mm-hmm. where, it, yeah. you know, like 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 even after, you know, you know, Cage's, you know, he, he did his mission, you know, he got back to his family. If that was the emotional catharsis you were looking for, you know, like that, that's, you know, fine. You know, he, yeah, you get him there. doing the mega tier you get him laying the southern drawl on that he's got his family back and but the way that it ends because the actual last scene of the movie is that mass serial murderer Steve <laughs> Buscemi actually also survived the plane crash and is just out there um, yeah. and he's roaming free in Vegas and he's just like hey I resisted the urge to kill a little child so I'm, I'm a deserve- lucky guy you know, and he throws the, you know, he's playing the crap. He's at the craps table and that's the end of the movie. And a friend of the pod, Will Sloan, had a hilarious review about this where he was basically like, it's literally the same ending as Silence of the Lambs. But if it was happy, yeah. like it's like he right, like right. It, it's just like the cannibal killer is just free. But the movie presents that as like actually kind of, you know, well, you liked that criminal. And, and he was, you know, he was willing to be rehabilitated, clearly. Yeah, he yeah. didn't um, kill that little girl. So like. Play crap. I, I wonder if he's gonna kill the woman that's next to him at the end. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, it, totally. it, like it's like, yeah, maybe he resor- resisted for like fifteen seconds, but like this guy clearly had a pattern for a many, many, many years. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and then it kicks in "Sweet Home Alabama" over the roll call montage credits, where all of the oh, I love when they do you know this. monstrously you know, charismatic, but also violent people we just saw all get gruesomely murdered and learned all of their gruesome backstories. And it's like smiling, like it's like an in-memoriam like video clip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Just like these loving characters that you just, uh, that you adore. We just had, we just had a grand old time. It's yeah. so funny. It uh, funny. like it, it and it, I like it, that it, they rem- make uh, Nicholas Cage's the the wink and the leave from camera like it's just and then it fades into the credits and everything like they 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 pick them well. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and and that was what was funny actually. Roger Ebert had a really funny conclusion to his review where he went in in ninety seven where he was basically like, you know, he he also noted the very bizarre closing credits with Sweet Home Alabama over all of their smiling faces, and he was like, yes, even Cyrus the Virus and Johnny Twenty Three, <laughs> like the guy whose entire personality was just that he raped people. They might as well have just called him like Mister Rape or something. They did. Well, and they he, do yeah. say that the twenty three is to signify, I think, how many people he's raped something like well, that and, and his clarification line is it would be johnny 600 if they knew the full story oh talk God. about a bad taste line too. i forgot about that line but oh. but yeah like they're all smiling and he uh, ebert compared it to a fast food ad he was like apparently the strategy <laughs> is to leave the audience on an upbeat note but that would require a very short attention span on the part of the audience and this may just be the movie to assemble that audience <laughs> i don't Definitely. know if he was saying that backhandedly or not he did give it a positive review but he's kind of right <laughs> yeah no I'm, I the movie is meant to correct. be enjoyed in bursts on cable tv it feels like and you could come in for every couple minutes and you'd get a ridiculous one-liner, you'd get a ridiculous character actor performance, or you would get an insane action scene or explosion yeah. or squib going off or something. And I've never seen a movie more self-aware that like that it was th- its eventual destiny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. I, I don't think this movie like 
you know, Face Off, I think, is actually way more ambitious than this movie is. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas, like, this movie, like, it really just knows what it is, and it, like, executes that so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you could really go... It's a classic for a lot of people who aren't that into movies. Like, everyone's seen Con Air. Everyone loves Con Air. It's, oh, like, yeah. has to, it has, like, so, it has so much recognizable people. We're like, ah, that guy. It's that guy. Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? It kind yeah. of and sinks like, into its familiarity. Like, you, you've, you're familiar with some of these characters themselves. Just you, you've seen, like, different iterations of them. You're familiar with the mm-hmm. actors. You're kind of familiar with the style because you've seen Michael Bay and Tony Scott before. There's just a bunch of things that make you feel kind of comfortable about the film, even Damn though it. they have a lot of <laughs> really seedy, gross dialogue at the same time. But that's just that's just the American way, baby. Yeah, the, Come on. Yeah. yeah the, well, that's just it. It's it, it's vulgar in the same way that like just American genre filmmaking could be. Yes. Um, so it, it's basically it's the movie equivalent of like the best fast food you've ever had drunk at three in the morning. <laughs> you know? Hell yeah. Like, it's the cinematic version of that. I, I will. Yeah, it really I, is. <laughs> that McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That McDonald's at 2 a.m. Couple McDubs at three, definitely. Yeah, yeah it just it, <laughs> it just kind of hits in that way. So if we are pivoting maybe towards the uh, reductive rating round, this actually used to be kind of in like the higher, like really really high three territory for me. But this actually bumped up to kind of like the soft four territory for me on 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 this watch. This was the most fun I had ever had with the movie. I think I did finally just let go of like, look. It's not Michael Bay or Tony Scott. It's not yeah. going to have the same sophistication of the craft. It's not going to have the same magic touch. It's not going to have like those beauty moments like we're about to talk about when you have a <laughs> literal genius of visual craft behind something that's this absurd and ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it is it is diet, visual and sonic copycatting of that particular style right down to the epic dolly pan shots of the character actors, the Top Gun era romantic ballads and electric guitar licks when someone, you know, throws a punch or someone's shoulder fucking explodes from a squib or something (laughs) or a piece of metal slams through, you know, a giant building and explodes it, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's just, you know, somehow Bruckheimer strong-armed three people who would never make a film that would ever look like this again and the, the one of the greatest, deepest benches of character actors you've ever seen in a movie and was just let everyone cook on this magnitude. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where you kind of have to respect it on that level. And, um, you know, despite the fact that, you know, it's crass and commercial, there's a lot of great analog effects to it. There's a lot of great, you know, insane one-liners and performances. It's very loose and efficient, and it moves at a breakneck pace. And it ha- it's, you know, it's pure 90s macho action movie magic at a, at a, at a certain point. And, uh, yeah, I uh, I really did uh, have a blast with it on this watch. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I had a blast too. It was my first time actually seeing Con Air, and it was shocking that it was my first time. But it didn't exceed my expectations. But it was so comfortably good that I was like, ah, yep. yes, it's, <laughs> it's like it didn't exceed it. I was like, okay, this is probably going to be what it is. Um, it's not like when I watched first face off for the first time, I was like, wait, am I watching like the greatest action movie? Yeah. Ever? Like no one <laughs> can prepare you for face off. It's a totally different experience. Like you'll go in being like, oh, I've seen a couple of the clips on the Nick Cage YouTube montages or I, right, you know, right. I've, I've heard a couple friends describe the plot to me and then you actually sit down to watch it and you're Context. like, this is actually one of the most insane things that anyone ever made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. So this doesn't have that quality. Unfortunately, you're right. <laughs> 
yeah, no, it's it, it, it's definitely a little bit different, but um, still like what hot fun, like great fun. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. re- really distinct faces, really distinct actors. Um, yeah, there's not one actor who doesn't like step up to the plate. Really, like I'm, I'm trying to think of one performance where I'm like, eh, well, but th- everyone's like really, really good. I don't quite find Poe as dynamic of a character as the. I know that's the point, but I don't quite find his character like as dynamic as the as the character actors as like the supporting guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for me, like it's just. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll talk about rating, but for me, it's not quite as great as Face Off because Face Off has those two leads are just so good. Oh <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but but um, it's still but it's still it's 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 still great fun yeah i mean it's i haven't i haven't gone on a mute right now on my tv and it's just doing the dog scene where he's like i can play house nigga it's like, <laughs> it's like what the fuck <laughs> oh, yeah. oh man the racism in this is it's very sopranos level where everything's so it's so funny to the point where it's just like you just kind of like it's just like fuck it this is just so funny yeah because like, even even the way they use race in this is like just fucking cartoonish as all hell yeah so yeah it's 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 at least easier to forgive in that sense and it is yeah it is honestly funny some of the shock value in it is quite hilarious and just the way they're putting some of these lines together and delivering them is is unreal i think at one point pinball acts as cyrus he's like hey old cyrus man you ain't really mean that right man and cyrus like no i bet every word (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, with like the most straight face and everything yeah with the most straight face cyrus like no i actually meant every word (laughs) Yeah. yeah Would you probably yeah, give so it what, a four? What are you thinking? I'm, I'm, I, I give it a four stars out of five. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm there too. Uh, it's, it's a pretty, it's pretty solid for me. I, I think that just the amount of craziness that they toss at you really does fill up that two hours and you don't feel it as much as you, you'd think that you would with such a simple premise. They're just constantly throwing new characters and because they're such such simple characters to take in, it doesn't feel overwhelming by any means. It just is like, okay, let's see this crazy person interact with another crazy person. And that, that's just a lot of fun. Um, it is very yeah. much like Diet Michael Bay in that sense, but I, I do think when it comes to somebody replicating a style, Simon West is doing this quite well. Um, and so I have to give him a little bit of respect for that. Uh, What's a better movie, Con yeah. Air or Bad Boys Two? Oh, Bad Boys. Oh, Bad 2, Boys Two. Sure. Yeah, I think Bad yeah. Boys yeah. Two is like a masterpiece of an action film. It's up there with Face Off for me. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's Simon. Also, West, just like, pure evil id on display too. I almost wish oh, that yeah. maybe this had a little bit more of that. It leaned full fuller into that because like Michael Bay just goes like full ugliness to the point where it almost does. It's so maximalist with its depiction of like American vulgarity that it almost circles back around to being a critique, even though yeah. I know it's not. And Michael Bay isn't. But it's just like that's how crazy, like immature and hyper violent and like insecure that movie almost is. But with such like, yeah. you know, commitment uh, and uh confidence to the to the to the craft and the incoherency of it all it's uh there's an you know. honesty to that and i think that like, that's why 
that like with Michael Bay, like you said, he's probably not critiquing himself, but he just does it because he's so honest and and really does wear his heart <laughs> it, on his sleeve so about what he loves. It's just who he is, man. Yeah. So it yeah. just it just says it without even him having to uh, like really truly imply it. So I I yeah. I love that. And yeah, Simon West is missing that. Yeah, a th- tiny this bit there's this. a little bit more of like a knowing winkingness to it a little bit where you know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But I mean, just every performance is spectacular. I do love it. It is strange to see um, a movie that looks like it does and having these people not make a movie that looks like it again. That is strange. Like, I think you're right about Bruckheimer really at least focusing hard on what this movie is going to look like. Um, and made them do it, it seems, because it, it nothing in their filmography looks like this. It's crazy. So, and even I like that even uh, actors um, or characters rather, like Cusack's character, are still doing over the top shit. Like he's the one that destroys the, uh, uh, the 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 car with the crane at a certain point and stuff like that. You know, like yeah. every character in this, even the straight laced guy, is doing batshit insane stuff. So, uh, yeah, this this is the kind of movie where Nick Cage goes, "I'm gonna show you that God exists," and then struts away and blows up the Las Vegas strip off the face of the earth. Yeah, you, know? you believe, like that, you believe <laughs> that he's going to show you the Lord for sure. Yeah, It's like literally Poe is like Jesus Christ. If Jesus yeah. Christ was like a violent human being. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which, is, yeah. which is very much going to rhyme when we move on into Face Off, which I think we have to do here yes, where uh, it, the, the uh, isn't this religious, you know? And it is. Oh my God, <laughs> is it ever. This is my religion coming up here. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that being said, I think that is going to wrap it up for Con Air. We're going to be right back and we're going to be talking about Face Off. Stick around. I don't care if I live. You're not having any fun, are you, Sean? Try terrorism for hire. We'll blow some stuff up. It's more fun. Plan B. Let's just kill each other. All right, we are back and we are talking Face Off, the 1997 American action thriller film directed by John Woo and uh, starring in two of their best performances of all time. I think many yes. of us uh, on 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 the show are going to agree today, uh, Mr. Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Now, this is one of those movies where I one of my favorite things is to ask people like what the first experience was like mm-hmm. uh, watching this. So what was the context, uh, Jason, for your first watch? What did you have an idea of going in and how was your face appropriately melted when you actually watched okay. it? <laughs> so my friend Alphonse, who is um, the staff writer for Pitchfork, and um, Alphonse Pierre, who I actually put on, I actually sent him this podcast. And I was like, yo, you should see if you want to go on. Because Alphonse is a movie guy, too. He sent me a DVD for my birthday a few years ago and sent me Snake Eyes and Face Off, like a double nice. disc thing um, as a birthday present, which is very sweet. Um, That's awesome. And so I, I, popped in, I popped in Face Off and I was like, Nick Cage, Travolta, cool. This is going to be fun, obviously, because Nick Cage and Travolta. Um, I was not prepared for two. Th- I was not prepared for two things. The first thing is I was not prepared for how great both leads are. Like, they're both mm. so good in the way where it's like 
it's the type of performance you think about all the time. Like it's ki- kind of like Denzel and Trading Day, one of those like superstar performances. Yeah. Where it's like, holy shit, I'm keep thinking about this. Like it's not gonna win any awards, but it's the type of performance that like people really love, like regular people love. Mm-hmm. Um, and like just fans, movie fans, and like you, if you're a fan of movies, like you get this performance, and you, and you get why it's so great, and you love it. Um, I also kind of think that both men are so good at. It, they're really good at playing the other, like, face of the other character. But mm-hmm. They both do a great job of doing both of the things. Um, I think when Travolta's playing Caster Troy, he is unbelievable. Like, the, <laughs> oh, like yeah. the household stuff and, like, the daughter and, like, <laughs> it's just he's unbelievable. It's wild, yeah. Like, it's you, just n- wild nothing prepares you like, for how like perverse that stuff is. <laughs> I know it's so he's unbelievable. And then Kate, and then when Cage is playing Sean Archer, he's so heartbreaking. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it's amazing. Like when he's like, yeah, when when he's with Shasha's son, like it's incredible. Um, so that's what I I wasn't prepared to be like as emotionally heartfelt as I was like when I watched it, and then also like. I wasn't prepared for how funny it also can be. Like, it can be... It's such a wide shift in mood, the movie. Yeah. Like, constantly, such a wide shift in mood. And yeah. it's it's uh, I, it's a masterpiece. It's one of the greatest movies ever made, and I can't wait to talk about it. Like, I, it's... it's Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, it's truly, yeah. like, a comedy, an action, a thriller, a crime. It's just... It, it's pretty wild how much he throws into this. And, of course, you get the John Woo factor, and we'll get into some details there. But, yeah, for me, it was... um. I was, it was, I was eight to 10 years old, something like that. I think I was in like fourth (laughs) or fifth grade and my friend Dylan, uh, I would go over to his place and he was the guy that like his parents would just let him watch whatever he wanted, uh, uh, no matter what age we were. And, um, face off was one that he threw on and I just like, it was like seeing God, I swear to God, like I was obsessed with it from then on the entire premise of two actors. And, and at the time I couldn't fully conceptualize like what they were doing artistically, but I just knew that something special was happening here. That's all I could feel. Like I was like this, this swap of identity and their performances changing with that was so intriguing to me. And then of course, you know, gold-plated double guns in slow motion and doves flying and like i mean my my nine-year-old brain was just going was melting it was just a so over the top so <laughs> yeah it was overwhelming but from that point forward i was like this is what a good action movie is and so it, from a very young age this movie set a high bar for for young jamie <laughs> so yeah. Uh, no, yeah yeah i, 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 I had film. a similar experience where i was like i was kind of just getting into nick cage because he had such a crazy 2000s and i do think that i can't remember exactly what the first movie of his i ever watched was but i do remember that he was an actor i actually did follow as i was you know like you know kind of just getting interested in movies like he was mm-hmm. doing i don't know national treasure and lord of war came out like back to back i'm pretty sure i watched like wicker man and ghost rider i saw knowing in the theater i'm pretty sure in high school i was like man nick cage you know something to do with like the planets being destroyed or the apocalypse or you know and i was like you know i was so i was kind of like already a nick cage fan 
And definitely this one came up to me in exactly one of those like YouTube videos back in the day of like Nick Cage best acting compilation, you know, that kind of thing (laughs) where you're like and it's just vampires kiss clips and like clips from Con Air and clips from Snake Eyes, uh, you know, like that kind of thing. So I I didn't know it, but I was being introduced to all of these amazing movies out of context. And I'm pretty sure that between that and watching Pulp Fiction, I finally went, okay, I need to watch whatever this movie is where Nick Cage was in a movie with John Travolta. Mm -hmm. Because, like, that's what it was for people. It was, like, Nick Cage, John Travolta. This was, like, they were trying to advertise this as, like, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro. Right. You know? Yeah. Two titans of the screen, head to head, face to face, you know? like swapping places. Yeah, so that was when I finally decided to watch it. And same as both of you, I had no way of being prepared for what an insane, not just performances, like the screenplay is fucking bug nuts. Oh, it's crazy. like the and and then obviously the directing this was definitely the first John Woo movie I ever saw and immediately fell in love with the intense operatic like just crazy controlled chaos destruction of it all and for me the first thing that I recognized is John Woo because again I was just a, a child basically was that moment that Nick Cage gets out of the car and his coat like just does a sharp uh like f- like flip into the wind and they add like, like, it's like a, a little cape or something yeah and they add <laughs> this like little sound effect and it's so sharply edited and um I don't know if I they mean, were like just, flapping they, did, they you got know? the perfect <laughs> shot of it doing it and it's it's like I just remember thinking this kind of style is the coolest thing in the world to me this this very over the top and um it like almost almost cartoonish like I don't want to call it cartoonish because that feels like I'm insulting Jean Wu but it's just it's so theatrical it's operatic I guess you already said it really that is the the word for it it, it's very exaggerated and as a result but, but like everybody's on board for it like as a result everyone together working in tandem created like one of the greatest curiosities basically in American action film history that only exists as this specific cocktail due to a myriad of like super specific situations that you'd have to get into. Like it's a perplexing (laughs) combination that like defies logic or sense when you actually start to break it down. Like it's based on an insane science fiction melodrama spec script. Um, That is maybe the most extreme vision of the cop versus crook, like two sides of the same coin concept, like cop becomes a murderer, killer becomes, you know, something a little bit more honorable, like that kind of story basically ever put to screen where, you know, like it's about an anti-terrorism agent who goes undercover as his arch enemy and he actually has to have gruesome facial reconstruction surgery straight out of like John Frankenheimer's seconds with Rock Hudson in order to kind <laughs> yeah. of pull it off. Um, but the script is co-written by one of the guys who wrote The Mask uh, for Jim Carrey and Chuck Russell awesome. and one of the guys who wrote Death Wish 5. Oh my so God. like it's such a weird combination of like animated self-awareness, but also like that. Honestly, the, the, the death wish thing clarified something for me a little bit, too, where I was like someone who's like familiar with like old American genre movies and knows how to work in tropes and knows how to work in, you know, sort of like these archetypes that they're doing. Yeah. And both of them basically claimed 
that they were inspired by the James Cagney gang- gangster film White Heat, which I think is about a guy who has to go undercover into a prison. So you have these guys who are like, we kind of have our massive sci-fi prison movie spec script. And apparently it w- originally written, it was a little bit more futuristic, but it was too, it, it, was, it was coming off too expensive to the studios. It was like 120, 120 million well, dollar that's, movie. That's interesting you say that because that's something I've always loved about the film is that the the tech that they use in this sense of like the face swapping and everything is incredibly sci-fi and futuristic but then everything else is just your classic you know, grounded nineties, uh, extravaganza. Yeah. It's all, all the rest of the design is like, just basically like near future or like near present, like that kind of deal. Yeah. And, and they did that literally just to drop like 20 or $40 million off the budget essentially, because they wanted studios to get more interested. And also they really wanted to works. get some of the actors they wanted interested because when they wrote it, they say that they wanted Stallone and Schwarzenegger. That right. was the idea. And also yeah. I wow. think Michael, Michael Douglas was attached at one point and he wanted Johnny Depp or, Harrison Ford or something. Yeah, uh, Bruce Willis and Alec Baldwin were considered <laughs> yeah. at one point, which would have been a weird way. Baldwin, Baldwin, Baldwin and Willis is kind of fire, actually. Yeah, that'd be really interesting to Rob see. Rob Cohen, who directed the first Fast and Furious movie, uh, was also supposed to, was was attached to it at, at one point before leaving to go and do Dragonheart. So, like, there's so many versions of this movie that almost existed due to, you know, the studio interest in, in the spec script and everything like that. But what really does make it is like a true once in a lifetime great idea of being like well no it's John Travolta and Nick Cage like they are two of the strangest American movie stars at the peak of their over-the-top, exaggerated, experimenting that they were comfortable doing. John Travolta hot off Pulp Fiction and Broken Arrow with John Woo. Oh, yeah. Um, And Nick Cage just doing Leaving Las Vegas and The Rock and obviously... um, On Air. Con Air that we just mentioned. Um, But you know, and and who both are so willing to take this ridiculous role playing performance swapping premise of wearing each other's faces like completely seriously, like the level of effort on display in the performances, the way that they're tracking who's in which body and who's feeling what it is the most actor exercise movie ever. Like this is, I think the most acting that has ever actually been done in a movie. (laughs) And, 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 and and it makes their performances and their acting like a subject of the text itself where they, you know, like they have total command over their image and body. They're creating identities. They're having these crises. And apparently people, I, I read the production history, like oral history from some of the people who worked on the film. And they said it was the first time they had ever seen actors basically study each other like animals for like yeah. weeks in pre-production and prep. Like they were studying each other's cadences, their mannerisms, the way that they, you know, say lines, the way that they move their face and their hand. And they were like, you know, we're totally going to, you know, 100% live in each other's bodies and wear each other like skin suits. And it's just, it's so rare to see actors that committed and it for it to match the material so well. Yeah. And I, I guess like I was looking at um, John Travolta and Nick Cage interviews about the film itself and both of them were on board as soon as they said it was John Woo and each other. Like they were both interested in <laughs> working with Travolta and working with Cage vice versa. Um, and I think it's because they re- could easily recognize it. It's like we have distinct acting styles and little mannerisms that we're known for and we can pick up on those things. And what I liked too about the kind of respect of each other's craft was they were asking each other permission throughout the entire uh, production 
um, based on what they were about to do next. Because Cage, you know, he's aware of what he's doing. Like people think that he's just this wild man, but he knows what he's doing when he's going over the top and all of that. So they'd actually have conversations about like, is this too much? Like, what do you think that like, this am I making fun of you, you or your style? Yeah, or exactly. He's like, do you think that this is a mockery or do you think that this is true to what you would do? And I, and I think that that is why we see such an amazing, um, two performances on screen because it's it doesn't feel like mockery. It does feel like these two respect each other, but but at the same time, we're watching Face Off, we're watching John Wooth, so things are exaggerated and over the top. Um, but I just I, I loved that respect of each other's craft that they were talking about there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, and you can tell that there's such a respect um, of the script in the movie. The actors like play up the script so well. It's also oh, yeah. an underrated supporting cast, I think, as well. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joan who's, Allen who's, as as Joan Eve, Allen's great, great. Jo- yeah. Joan Gina Gershon from Showgirls as oh, yeah. uh, Sasha. Great. Also, um, fucking Nick Cassavetes. What? I always forget that he's in this. Cassavetes. Who's who's uh, who's Troy's brother? Oh, Alessandro Navala, and he's. I don't. Yes. I'm trying to think of what I've seen him in. I guess I've seen him in. You were never really here. Salma, he's in Jurassic Park three. So there's a, there's a couple, um, but he is great. He's also too, in. He's also in the Sopranos movie. Oh, okay, yeah. sweet, sweet. I just watched him yeah. in that, The Many Saints of Newark, yeah, where he's he's playing uh, Dickie. Dickie Baldessati, yes. And he's yes. fantastic, because I often forget about him, because obviously the, the main focus when it comes to performances is going to be Travolta and Cage, but he has some great line deliveries, and he plays this, like, weird kind of shy, eccentric brother of, uh, of Castor, and just the way that he delivers lines is incredibly strange at times. That the, the, that little wave that he does, he almost acts like he's acting like Doctor Evil or something. Yes, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, sure. he, does a, he he also I like the interrogate to see when he's like drinking the Diet Coke or whatever too, like yeah. through the screen, and he's drinking it in like the weirdest way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they and so even when you get the the short scenes between um, Castor and uh, and Pollux, like there, there's still some strange interaction. You don't just have to have Travolta and and Cage. And then speaking on some of the more what they're trying to do, the more I guess grounded performances, which is the uh, uh, the the uh, Eve and the daughter. Um, and I'm blanking on her name right now. The the character uh, Jamie. Uh, Jamie. Yeah. Um, Played by Dominic. They Swain. play it more of like that traditional very melodramatic uh, family stuff. Uh, they, they play it that way. But I well, like... Because like, they have to react to the absurdity, right? Which yes, is so perfect like the by the time characters. they get involved in the final set piece. And like, like Jamie gets one of the greatest lines in the entire movie, which is, will somebody tell me what planet I'm on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. You to- it's a sentiment you totally understand by the time you also, get to John that section Carol of the movie. Walsh, John Carroll Walsh as Guard Walton. Oh yeah, the prison guard guy, Mr. Like Zodiac. The prison guard himself. guy who's like kind of <laughs> who's like kind of sadistic. <laughs> He's really good. He's really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, even even. Uh, um, oh my god, the guy from the wire is in it too. Uh, Bunny, Bunny from the wire is in this as well. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. CCH yeah. Pounder is in there Thomas too. Jane. <laughs> yeah, like it's yeah. it is pretty wild. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really stacked uh, cast for sure. Oh, and what yeah, I was going to yeah. say about the uh, the daughter, what I like about her is she's first of all her arc is hilarious because they do this like she's not the classic 
American daughter that you have. She's got, you know, she, she's she's rebelling. She has dyed hair and and she's putting a ring in her nose and, and all of that. And she's fighting back against her family. And I just I love that her the, the visual sense of the arc is that she goes from like punk weirdo, quote unquote, to just normal American average girl. Um, and her performance is great because she's just playing up the whole like bratty teenager vibe. Uh, and I think that she's fully aware of of every what everyone else was doing because it, it is very played up. Um, Eve is the one that that kind of grounds the the whole thing. But well, again, it's all melodramatic, so there's still some some over the top qualities in that sense too. Yeah, well, and I mean, and that's the woo touch. Like this is a yes. really important aspect of this film, and I think a thing that gets underrated in 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 the film when it when it gets talked about because obviously there's insane acting, there's insane line deliveries and gestures, and we'll get into a lot of them. There's insane action sequences that are just incredible and visually impeccable to watch. But John Woo was actually always very annoyed that he was basically to American audiences. He was considered just like a cheesy action guy. Like that actually kind of pissed him off a little bit, especially because so many of his movies (laughs) were getting cut up and, you know, this was the movie where, you know, he he did get the uh, most amount of freedom he was given by an American studio. And mm-hmm. that was because I believe that Travolta and Cage were like really invested in his vision and working with him and working with each other. And so like there was there was a, there was a reason for that. He was the most protected on this production. And also this is one of his most financially successful films, if not his most financially successful film at the box office and everything. It's why he got Mission Impossible, too. Yeah. But yep. The key to all of this is that John Woo, and you can even find interviews of him basically saying this, is that he is a drama guy. He believes entirely in the melodrama. He 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 actually went to the writers and said, we need to write more character. Like, I, I see mm-hmm. what you guys are going for, and I know how to exaggerate and play it up and actually capture it in the filmmaking. But, like, I actually, you know, want to get invested in the emotions that these characters would be going through despite the absurdity of the situation. And that's why I think is he some, is something he's so perfect for. Because, again, yeah. he is just a supernaturally gifted action filmmaker. We've talked about him, you know, a lot of times. And specifically... He's already spent years, by the time he comes to make this film, honing this kind of operatic, kind of weepy, cop, crook, you know, sort of like mirror image, opposites colliding romance action concept. Like, that's what the killer is. We And we, yeah. we, we covered that. There's a little bit of that in Hard Boiled, too. I'd say it's more in the killer, especially in the finale. Um, but, like... He already had movies that were about, you know, these male relationships under pressure and identity and performance and these codes of honor and these, you know, really severe, gruesome transformations via the violent, you know, ballets of action that that he was going to put on. And, and here you could just see him gleefully delighting in the fact that he has found a way to literalize the transformation process. Like, it's not just like one character becomes more corrupted. It's like, no, one character in a literal sci-fi horror sequence becomes another character. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the ultimate good versus evil swap. Like you do have yeah. a little bit with Travolta where, you know, he's not, he, he is, I wouldn't say it's a corruption. It's more just like he's, he's hyper focused on this one case, which can make for some bad decisions in his, in other parts of his life. But ultimately what he's trying to do is avenge someone that killed his, you know, like eight year old son. So he is kind of represented as the ultimate good trying to take down the ultimate evil. 
Um, yeah, I will th- say, though, I, though defend- I do like the complications I- that are thrown in there, right? Because there yes. is like there, there's a, there's this amazing element. We'll get into the specifics of it, but like broadly, there is this element of uh, you know uh, Cage as um, or sorry, uh, <laughs> this is going to get confusing to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. we we need to, we're going to need to do like, character names on this one. I started we're going to have to like, do fake Cage and fake Travolta in my notes. Everyone, we're, we're going to have to do like uh, Archer and Troy and have to be basically like when Archer is in as the body Troy. of Troy Archer <laughs> yeah. as Troy um, when, when when he actually needs to start going undercover into the criminal underworld and he actually starts like befriending some of the people that he used to view as like just completely inhuman scum that needed to be fucking like put in jail mm-hmm. and there is an element where they, he actually starts to humanize with the criminals and actually starts to feel bad when they're getting massacred and actually during the prison break like actually tries to help criminals because he's like wow some of these criminals are being horribly mistreated by these guards and you know like so there's yeah. a really interesting element where he kind of goes wow there is like a bit of a you know a, a power corruption element to this and on the flip side when uh, Troy as Archer becomes you know goes undercover and starts pretending to be like the top cop the top FBI anti-terrorism agent he just like is totally is like imagine what that kind of person with that level of power could do and weirdly enough actually does start to try to make his home life like a little bit better in a way yeah, you know first, like yeah because <laughs> he's active so, like it, it's it's finally at least he's present even though yeah you know he yeah. might be giving the daughter a, a couple <laughs> questionable <laughs> pieces of advice uh <laughs> it, he's he's active in the relationship and he's like and he's, both yeah, use like, their skills in the opposing person's lifestyle yes. and it actually does have an interesting effect that actually does start to blend the good versus evil element a little bit that i kind of liked yeah. Yeah. I mean, like low key, it's really funny when he like is talking to the daughter and he's like, look, you dress like that. They're going to treat you like that. <laughs> right. You yeah. dress so like it's Halloween. You're going to get attract some ghouls. Yeah. yeah. I think he said it's something like, like you. It's uh, almost like Troy. It's almost like Castor Troy as uh, or Travolta as Castor Troy. It, it's almost as if he feels bad um, for like killing the the son. Uh, when, yeah. like you know, or 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 not even feels bad, but almost like he's like, all right, I didn't mean for that to happen. So he's kind of sort of like, all right, let me like fix a little bit what's going on in his. Well, life. yeah, he he's forced to go yeah. with his wife to the grave of their child and like hold her while she's grieving, which yeah. is such it's an emotionally so perverse funny. moment because she's freaking out, being like, I can't believe our son was taken from us and our lives were entirely ruined and our marriage was strained, and she's sitting there holding and crying into the arms of the guy who killed her son. You yeah, know, without I knowing I, that. I, I can't, like, his, Travolta does amazing acting in that scene. Like, amazing oh, face yeah. acting. You can't tell if he's just like, this kind of sucks, like, what am I doing here? Or if you, he, or if he's just like, uh, maybe I should have killed the son. Like, he, yeah. like the face, his face is kind of just like, ah, oh, shit, man, this is kind of, like, rough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, he's definitely like, it's not fun. Like, I'm used to being, like, a guy who just can go and do whatever, and I don't have to deal with the consequences sucked. of it. You know, I just <laughs> yeah, blow shit yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, get it, blow shit up, get his tongue sucked, you know, he's just a rock star, basically. Oh, yeah, my God, I mean, the, the tongue sucking, ten minutes Jesus. Of this movie, the first 10 minutes of this movie, like as when Cage is Troy, the first 10 minutes is just fucking 15 minutes or whatever. It's fucking unreal. Like it's, it's, he, it's, it's genuinely breathtaking. It's probably the watching best just Cage like go film. as unhinged as, you know, you can. <laughs> what did he say when they're when the opera's going on with the uh, uh, the choir singing? What does he say to the girl? He's like a two bit hack. Like, 
Oh yeah. yeah. He calls the Messiah fucking boring. <laughs> yeah, he's like, actually, I've always found this fucking boring. But when you sing it, a two big hack, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the whole like his introduction might be my favorite villain introduction ever of all time. Like the the amount of just layers that you have with it. First, he you you see first him, him killing his son too. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, of with course. the fucking yeah. with the fucking mustache. <laughs> killing his yeah, son. which by oh, yeah. the way, it's the Chow Yun Fat mustache from the killer. He also disguises himself within the mustache when he goes to do his assassination. So I was like, That's dude, right. Nick Nicholas Cage is paying homage to the to the King Chow Yun Fat over in Hong Kong. Yeah, you know, and what? he's like, <laughs> yeah. Before we get to, uh, I guess the, the 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 priest introduction. Yeah, like I love the way that this is shot too because it has that kind of like flashback, lighter. Um, filter to it a little bit, like it's, it's almost it, like a reverse negative type thing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, and and of course you just have all of the wooisms, like when Nick Cage uh, unveils the sniper rifle and he does it almost <laughs> like majestically, like he's like yeah. he's he he, he 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 puts it up in the air. He kind of has this like cool guy pose while he's smoking the cigarette and just aiming the sniper rifle, and then of course like this is where the religious aspect comes into it because John Woo has so much religious iconography and symbolism in his in his movies at least especially this one i mean it's just full of it um well yeah the the finale of the killer takes place at the church too right the same as the finale in this with the funeral yeah absolutely absolutely and they like even the the tone setting in this is so serious because you have this this choir that 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 happens a lot in the movie um and Mm -hmm. it, it gives this really uh like very religious feeling very much like this is larger than life uh, something incredibly powerful is about to happen, and surely it does when you see an eight-year-old just get sniped in the chest. Like it's pretty crazy. Yeah, also yeah. collateral through him, which is like the craziest yes, detail in the whole thing. And it. like the kid's gory blood spraying all over the white ponies on the merry-go-round and everything. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Wild. And then also Troy's face is like, what the fuck? His face is yeah. kind of like, yo, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, he's like, that's the thing about uh, Troy is that he's he is pure evil, and when he does that and makes the mistake. There isn't like a sense of that he really cares, but there is a sense of like, ow, oh, I didn't mean to do that. That wasn't how that my was supposed bad, to I go. Guess, yeah. You know? yeah, and it's, yeah, it's kind of the it's same like way. Bad, I guess. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of the same way that Travolta uh, acts that out when when it does get to that scene that you guys were talking about with uh, him having to hold Eve. He has this 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 mix of things where it's like, I just wish I wasn't here. You know, this sucks. Yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily I feel guilty because yeah. you know I'm Caster Troy. Fuck him. But it, it does feel yeah, like he's like, why I didn't wish you I just didn't... get over it or kill yourself? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Speaking like, to him about like, why didn't he this. just get over the death of his son that he <laughs> shot through his chest and murdered in front of him as he's like crawling across the fucking playground grass. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. And so and so after this introduction that you get, so you kind of have the idea of, you know, who Travolta is and, and why he's you so... get the rivalry. You get like insanely like evil terrorist an FBI agent who's meant to be hunting him down very like, you know, heat style, like, you know, yeah. the, the master criminal and the master cop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and it kind of introduces the idea that 
although Travolta is very good at his job, nobody likes him at his job because he's so serious and so sad and, and, and all of that. And it's kind of, honestly, it's almost a little funny just because what he went through is unbelievably tragic. And it, you'd think that these cops who would be either in the same line of work, have the same risks or whatever, would just be a little bit more empathetic, but they're so played like, oh, this fucking annoying guy that lost his son doesn't want any cake today. What a fucking asshole. Like it's, it's, I know it's, it's really funny it's in so that way. Funny. Um, and like Travolta went, Travolta as Troy is like when he comes into the office, everyone's just like, "Oh, look, new shot." Yeah, yeah. That's that's what's hilarious too is that that's a part of them liking him more when Troy actually starts to play as Travolta. Or, uh, yeah, or he's Sean. more fun to be around yeah. as like a, a presence in the immediate surroundings. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He's then like, our boss was fucking mopey about the death of his kid for fucking six <laughs> years, and he was so fucking like obsessed about hunting this guy at like any cost. He got like, there's, it's implied that he got like six people on his team like killed trying to hunt down Troy for six years or something like that, looking for, yeah. a, waiting for a, you know, and what, what's his lie to? We'll take a break when the case breaks. Oh you yeah. Know? Which leads to another great moment where even after they, you know, get caster the the first time within the first 15 minutes in that hangar scene, which we'll get to, uh, Travolta is just like, like, because they're trying to celebrate him for the first time because they know that this is the case that he's been trying to, to, to close for so long. And they're, they're like clapping and giving him champagne. And he's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know what this is for? This is for all the dead people that helped me in this case. And then just starts naming off all the dead colleagues once again, like totally destroying the mood. And you get it. Like, I like that character moment because it's very uh, true to like what Sean's character is and everything like that. But it, it does lead to these very, um, he he is meant to be depicted as unhealthily obsessed with this specific event in his life. And that he does need to mourn and get catharsis and, you know, like the, the the whole, it is a movie about a guy obsessed with his job who makes his way back to his family eventually. Right. Like that's the overall, it's, it's a, it's a thing that we've seen before a ton of times in movies. It's just never been so heightened (laughs) to such a ridiculous degree that you end up, you know, like how that's expressed because that's always been, Wu's thing right is his things are over the top and he has an indulgence and an absurdity to him but it is always an expressiveness of the melodrama and the severity like the maximalism and the tangibility of his action sequences are always with the character experiences in mind they're a cathartic release for those characters like when we talked Mm. about in the killer like a guy just can't scream and sob about this loss of a friend he needs to fire his gun 10 times into a room and we need to see the muzzle flashes and the flying slow-mo debris of the destruction as if they are like an extension of his tears the same way guns are an extension of fists in his action sequences like that's just his style right and so yeah having these sort of uh, conventional you know sort of, I mean I don't I hesitate to use that word in this movie at all but like sort of conventional ideas emotional ideas for an American oh, yeah. action movie yeah. and for a cop and a criminal hunting each other down cat and mouse sort of thriller 
but just taken to these crazy, crazy extremes of, you know, Nicolas Cage planting a bomb at the L.A. Convention Center and being like, I'm about to unleash the biblical plague. L.A. deserves, yeah. you yes, know, exactly. <laughs> and headbanging. And Hallelujah is playing and like he's dressed as a <laughs> the priest. crazy eyes and tongue work. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And, and, to, and to really like just just bring it home. He goes and and, you know, grabs the ass of what you assume is no more than an 18 year old girl in a choir. Uh, and then they, and then John Woo decides to do this iconic zoom in of his face, this like upper crane zoom in <laughs> shot of his face, basically giving like the most exaggerated O face you've ever seen in your life. Um, while Hallelujah is still playing and the rest of the choir has yet to notice this priest make this move. It's just like, it's unbelievably incredible. And what I love the, the thought going back to Travolta and Cage kind of talking about like, how they're going to play each other and how they're going to play these characters. This is the opening, like, uh, this is the real character opening of him. Cause we've seen him shoot, you know, the sun, but he's really just on a Mount, like a, like a hill and shooting the, the trying to shoot Travolta. There's not a lot of like character uh, sense there. And then this is where you get to see all his eccentricism and just his mannerisms and how he's going to move. And I love to you think know, that I can Travolta eat a peach is, for hours. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like, I like to think <laughs> that Travolta is just sitting there on the sidelines while he's shooting the scene. Like, Holy shit. I have to, like that's the kind of energy I'm going to have to bring now because whatever they set in place, that's what the yep. next person is going to have to bring on. And so yep. having this as your introduction is just like, holy fucking shit. What are we about to look at for the next two hours and 15 minutes? It's, yeah, it's cage, perfect. cage goes pedal to the metal on that whole airstrip set piece yeah, like the mo some of the most insane diabolical line reads ever spoken by an actor yeah um and what's crazy and, is that he's only this troy guy for maybe 15 minutes and people remember him as this character because in this time period he establishes who he is so well and then the rest of it you're watching travolta play him and then you know yeah. don't get me wrong but, cage but, but, is but everyone goes that's it, travolta but. doing cage like travolta is being possessed by cage is how people interpret yes. it when they watch it they exactly. think about it after yeah. that's still cage acting to them yes <laughs> yeah. yes whereas i think travolta as sean archer it's so subdued i mean and that's on purpose but it's so subdued mm -hmm. um yeah. And so it's but kinda, it kind of gives Cage such an upper advantage, I think, in when people debate, you know, Travolta and Cage. I mean, when he licks the first of all, the girl's uh, 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 music sheet drops. And that's like really so funny. <laughs> yeah, he, he like he like licks her She's ear. Stunned. Oh, he, the ear licking every time it comes up. Every time it comes up in the movie, it's disturbing. It's so <laughs> disturbing. How about how he's singing? How <laughs> yeah, like, it actually just it actually just came up on my screen on mute where it's like um, <laughs> he, he he goes he goes um, even he's like but you saying this can make you a fucking hack like Hank will seem like a fucking genius. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. and starts to sing like over the top and out of key in front of everybody and everything like that. Like all of his bizarre details of like his goons coming up to him with his little box filled with his golden berettas and his chiclets and his joints. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dude. It's just like his little like that's such a great way to show his personality too. just show like what would be in this little box that he uses every day that they're bringing and for him. Who does um, amazing direction as well. Kind of like oh yeah. The, the yeah, the slow screen and 
Mm-hmm. I like the mm-hmm. shot behind Cage that shows his big ass gun, the big fucking gun, the two big guns he has. Oh yeah, like, when it, they take off the suit and it reveals the double golden plated pistols in the back. It's <laughs> oh my god, yeah. it's, it's crazy. And he has all these like like swoop dolly zooms and pans and shit. Like it's just so over the top and um, and stylized, and it, it's fantastic. And also like when Cage eventually gets to. Uh, play a little bit of Troy. What's interesting about Cage is that he, like Travolta just gets to play pure what Cage was doing. Whereas Cage has to kind of draw the line between being Sean, but then also transforming into Troy. So you get these strange kind of middle ground performance with him where Sometimes he's Sean, sometimes he's Troy, and it often he's doing it like one second after the other. Like he'll start crying, yeah. but then start screaming Man. and wooing and then cry again. Like it's just, it's, uh, I, I love that both of them were able to kind of take it, take each other on, but it's not as simple as just swapping. Like they, they are still understanding the context of what the character would be going through at that time as well. Yeah. Apparently the writers were also on set to remind them mm. like who they were supposed to be in some stuff. Cause there was some <laughs> examples of like, they felt that cage was going to cage mode when he was meant to be Sean Archer. And they were like, yeah. dude, you got, you got to tone it down a little bit, you know, like you totally. gotta, you know, cause there was, I, I think they explicitly uh, told him the one time he was okay to go as crazy as he wanted even as um uh supposed to be playing uh, uh archer was when he does finally kill him at the very end and he goes Die! oh yeah because that that <laughs> yeah. actually feels like something that sean is holding within himself and yeah. so that the and times- he finally unleashes he truly becomes caster troy for a moment and he's like yeah. that kind of felt good to be caster troy and you know there was yeah. a there was a context where it was appropriate to actually go caster troy mode <laughs> yeah and to be honest i think that that's kind of in sean a little bit too like he's he's so pent up the entire fucking time like he's yeah. he's hyper focused on this case he's not having sex with his wife like this this guy needs a release and uh, you finally get it when he you know, we'll get to it. But when he does a magical kill well, to cast. Yeah. It. And, and, and think about all of the things that they have to do in order to get to that. Like this whole movie yeah. is, you know, he like he does need to just take him down and kill him. But like the opening set piece, there's so much destruction in that set piece. And it is like he captures him. And I love that they're like, yeah, no, the, the movie's over. Like we did it. Good job. The case, the case is over. And, and it does play as if like the opening set piece is like the final set piece of anybody else's movie. Yes. Like yes. you would. This is like, the end of it's a so film normally definitely it it, it is you like it's so guy. crazy how we pick up your in, in yeah and, and it, you know cage is like hijacking the plane or he you know he's pointing he's like you know you guys are going to take this plane off regardless of if we're being chased by the cops and i love that his line is this is a big bun this is a big gun fly the fucking plane yeah you know that's it <laughs> this he's is like a very I'm, big gun fly the fucking plane <laughs> yeah <laughs> i also like i also like the lady who turns out to be an fbi agent i think he tells her like I think he's just like, would you like to, would you like to lick my tongue? Or like, would you like my my tongue? If I were to let you suck my tongue, would you be Be grateful? grateful. (laughs) (laughs) And then she does it. (laughs) 
Yeah, and then it turns, and I was like, that's the most committed undercover FBI agent I've ever seen. Yeah, she if that was crazy. That also, also, Pollux, also, Pollux is watching this the whole time, like, oh. Yeah, he, dude, yeah, his brother's this, getting horny for it. In the subtitles, it's so funny. I had the subtitles I love on. Pollux. I love Pollux and Cash's relationship. I actually think it's, like, one of the greatest relationships in the movie. It's, oh, oh, it's you great. You can tell they're so tight. They're, like, and they're so different. Like. Yeah, their back and forth is hilarious. And it was so funny when I was watching it. I had the subtitles on, and in the subtitles, when it cuts back to Pollock, it actually says moans <laughs> as it, <laughs> as he's watching his brother just make out with this FBI agent. It's very funny. And then I like one of the best uh, cutbacks to to of, of a villain killing anyone is when he shoots the girl in the back and like lets the body just like Wu directs it so the it just ragdolls like under the wheels of the plane and everything like that. Oh it's kind of wild. So crazy. And then you cut back to Cage and in slow motion too, just to exaggerate the facial expression, he kind of scrunches up his face and just shrugs his shoulders and it's just like, I'm a bad little boy. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. And uh, yeah, yeah, this... And this is not even counting like just the amount of squib work that that Wu includes and and specific squib work too. Like at a certain point, there's a, a squib shot that shoots off a dude's ear, and you just think like, oh, there's there's more Wu just just stylizing some awesome shit. And later on, they use him as an example of how they like. Uh, reformed his ears to convince Travolta to go under they the surgery. They 3D printed his ear again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's cool that that all kind of connects to later things too in the plot itself. Um, but then, you know, there's yeah. no shortage of sparks flying and slow motion dives. And oh my God, Tra- Travolta guns. flying the helicopter right over top of the plane so the plane can't take off. Like what a crazy... Oh, yeah. Uh, like it's obviously not Travolta because that's a fucking absurd stunt that they're <laughs> that they're pulling off. But like, what a what a crazy stunt! Firing pistols at the engine so that they eventually crash into the the hangar, mm-hmm. and the 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 airplane into the hangar has some of the biggest slow motion sparks I've ever seen on camera. Which then turns into the gunfight in the hangar with the squibs and obviously the iconic John Woo wire pulls. Like if a dude gets shot with a shotgun, he's launching across to the other side of the room as yeah, well yeah. as the blood flying towards the camera. I also and love the. Oh, go ahead, Josh. My bad. Oh, no, I was just going to say. And also, of course, the crazy, di- the crazy diving dual wielding, you know, that that goes down the sudden inserts of sunglasses and reloads and gun smoke and, you know, cage landing on his shoulders while firing two guns at the same time. Like, it's just it's a classic woo stuff. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's amazing. I like uh, another uh, kind of cage line reading that I love is in the <laughs> beginning when uh, he he goes he starts kind of crying. He's like, please don't kill me, police officer oh, guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's just suddenly just says like, well, you better do it because I don't give a fuck. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I'm writing for the big ride, baby. It's just like, oh, what yeah, yeah what, a, what a crazy moment when they do meet like face to face and they both go, well, we each only have one bullet left. Oh, man, like we're, we're both like, you know, super smart. We we count the bullets that we, we have left and they're like dancing around each other in almost like this tango like like, yeah yin yang like dance that they're doing but they're perpetually locked in because technically if you're 
looking at sort of the broader storytelling being done, like one needs the other one to kind of exist. And so Nick Cage is like, is like, you know, what would you do with me locked up? Like you wouldn't have a mission. You wouldn't have this, you know, <laughs> you know like, and, and, and then and then he uses all of that conversation as an excuse to, you know, distract him so he can pull the trigger and he has no bullets left. And that's when he breaks out. He's like, OK, just fucking kill me. Get it over with. You yeah. know, <laughs> and I love the like just the in sync quality to it, it. Like you said, it's almost like a dance. Like they they're pointing their guns at each other and they even do this thing where they both step to the side and then change the side of the gun that they're that they're pointing at like uh, from right to yeah, left it's like perfectly at choreographed. the same time. So they're just, you know, it's these people that are in sync. They're on opposite sides of, of good and evil, but they, they know each other so well. They know every single move. And uh, it's just, it's such a great first 15 minutes of setting up a rivalry. There, I don't think it, anything else touches it in, in the sense of just how bombastic it is and how honestly true to the characters it is at the same time, even it being so ridiculous and operatic. Um, yeah. Oh my well, God. And obviously climaxing on uh, Travolta kicking cage into the uh, a jet engine that launches <laughs> him across the room and puts him in a fucking coma. That's, yes. that's the climax of your opening like 15 minutes. And obviously, you know, puts him in a coma. He captures him. And, you know, it's like that doesn't solve all your problems, man. You know, he's got so many problems that this that uh, that that uh Archer has, you know, with his with his wife, uh, Eve and, and, and his daughter. And I do like too that most of the, you know, sort of like domestic problems um, that he ends up happening are things that, you know, would be solved by just someone who is like more present and fun and yeah. animated and not like a mopey obsessed guy. <laughs> yeah. And that's what makes it so like engaging when you know they they do have to set in they have to establish this like actual straight up premise which i gotta credit them like it's a long movie it's almost two and a half hours long they go into it so fast that it's ridiculous it's almost funny every time i watch it how fast they're like well you know he's in a coma and you know we didn't capture that bomb that he planted that's gonna like unleash a nerve gas across all of los angeles <laughs> yeah, super so villain shit. <laughs> w- would you be willing to chop your face off and put his face on your body and go undercover and find out and talk to like all of his goons and find out like all the things to do with this with this bomb. It's the only plan that like, we could come up with. <laughs> yeah, it, it was the, it logical. was the first plan and the last plan, and uh, it's 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 the one that that's gonna do. do it's the one we it. landed on. Oh my god, that's so funny to yeah. think about. <laughs> yeah, because and, and, and we meet like some of his goons. We meet like Gina Gershon from, you know, Showgirls and Demon Lover, who we've talked about recently. And Nick Cassavetes as as her brother, who, you know, are there in this sort of incestuous like brother, sister drug dealing, you know, the, you know, duo connected to um, Caster Troy. And, mm-hmm. and she also has a son that uh, r- reminds him of, of of his son, which is a uh, very important uh, <laughs> For the detail to it. Yes. Yeah. I can't in- wait. In- um, in- incredible decision. A great. Yes. Oh. Another great scene is Travolta as Troy versus Cage as Archer, like them meeting for the first time. At, and, and yeah, it's uh, Archer's like in 
uh, Kay's as Arthur's like in, in the prison, and he's like, "You have a visitor," and out comes like Cas- Travolta as Troy, and it's like it's like pure maniac shit. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like, "You're gonna be here for the next hundred years." Like, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's so over the hell. top. The like, see anything you like, showing his <laughs> his wedding ring and like saying that he's gonna fuck his wife. And to be honest, even the first way that he's introduced physically where he's just kind of leaning on the wall as the door slides open and Wu does these like fade zooms into his face and he does once again it's kind of very similar to what he does on the plane when he does his little shoulder shrug like I'm just such a naughty boy Uh, he looks at him and he kind of does this bashful like hit his nose with the paper that he's reading thing like uh oh look where I am look what I did like that kind of thing the endless um just the mirroring of that that Travolta is able to do and I gotta get like I, I really gotta give it up for Travolta on the sense of him capturing uh, obviously what he's doing as Troy but even like little cage mannerisms like the the breathiness that cage has in some of his delivery the cadence he matches perfectly like this scene is where it is really introduced of course and Travolta fucking knocks it out of the park. Like it, it is. Well, yeah, because I was like, I was like, prior to this, it is, it is the K, it is kind of the Cage movie because yes, yeah. you know, because Cage, you know, got to do the crazy opening set piece, and then Travolta, you know, in in a series of really crazy sequences where his FBI team, played by Robert Wisdom and CCH Pounder, you know, uh, you know, they 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 walk him through the, you know, he's in a coma, you know, like he's like, oh, you're keeping him alive, goddamn. He's like, relax. He's a turn up, you know, like yeah. he's putting the cigarette out on his leg and being like, you know, he's playing with the bomb in L.A. We need, we need to get you to uh, switch with him, yeah, the even though the wife is, is like awesome. the, the, the wife is like, don't go and re up and do another job, man. You know, that scar won't move or won't move, but it will heal if you let it. He's like, no, no, I got I got to double down. I got to do one last job. And the actual sequence itself of you know, him actually having his face like lasered off and open and suctioned off and the sound of it being like, you know, coming yeah. up the goopy, oh, gory, yeah. like prosthetic effect is so good. The full body recreations of the two actors is like insanely creepy and 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 lifelike. And, and love- it also results in that scene, too, where um when when Archer uh, comes out the other side as Cage and, you know, obviously his his acting change up is like obviously, you know, really, really well done. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, Cage is now doing the stoicness and the teary eyes and doing a more kind of sensitive performance. But when the faceless Troy wakes up and Ugh. it's and, and it's Cage in like a horror sequence, basically, where yep. he's like ripping his mummy bandages off and touching his goopy face it's and kind doing of the like, like um, the primal Joker. screeches, looking at Travolta's face underneath the spotlight, where he's like, "Someone took my some switch my but 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 it's cool, you know. We're we're, we're gonna deal with it while he's yeah. like maniacally laughing his ass off, smoking with no face on, yeah, and, you know, and, and, and that shot of the reflection in the glasses." on the fucking like doctor while he's doing that and everything it's almost out of like a Raimi movie or something it's fucking crazy yeah no he's fucking incredible yeah and he has like he adds almost a lisp while he's talking because he knows that he wouldn't have any lips like because it's removed from his face so he's got this like lispy quality to him when he's talking without the face at first and yeah like you said it's he's got the shadow on the wall like he's a horror movie villain and um, it, it reminded me of that uh, that scene in Batman, actually, with Jack Nicholson, where he's just like, show me yes. the show me in the mirror or whatever. And then he <laughs> smashes the it. Yeah. Like that whole yeah. thing. 
So it is. It's really cool that they channeled that for a little while, and the uh, the the directing from John Woo in this moment is is kind of horror esque as well. When he does these, like the whole movie is is very you know, violent and he's willing to show whatever he needs to show. But I love that he chooses to do quick cuts of Nick Cage without the face instead of just showing it the entire time. He does this thing where he like starts clapping uh, at the, at the doctor because he's pulled off the operation. He's just like, bra fucking vo great job. Yeah. Like that whole thing. And as yeah, they really want to send home, like the gruesome sort of like, you know, the unnatural element that's being yeah. done here. Not, and, and, and obviously the ridiculous, ridiculousness of what's being done here like when when they're yeah. trying to explain how they're gonna like shift his bone structure and like firm up his build and like ruin his hairline modulate his voice i'm like did they fix did they do something to his dick like what like did they, yeah. they, they did everything you know <laughs> yeah. did they match the pain the peen <laughs> that's funny yeah. yeah and i like that he went as he's clapping they edit it so it goes from like the doctor to nick cage's face for a second so you can just see how grotesque it looks and then they end the scene with him fucking slowly walking up into the doctor's lens and you see just all of the muscle and the blood and whatever in the lens and he's still smoking the cigarette and he's just like what do you want he's like take a big fucking guess or something like that (laughs) oh it's just it's a it's a fantastic introduction to the to the rest of what we're gonna see i also love um just the whole, like the tech that he involves with, like as they're doing the surgery and using like the laser to cut the skin and everything, they keep cutting back to like, you know, uh, symmetry at a hundred percent on the screens and stuff. And I just love that like old school, um, way of looking at technology and like digital screens and stuff. So it, it, that's got yeah. some great quality to it too. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it, it, it's just, it's a really like well done tangible way to kind of get the audience on like, you know, involved in the actual premise that's been done yeah. before the actors finally get to get loose. Like, because, yeah. because when they eventually hit the prison stuff in the Erwan prison, it is like, you know, there's some stuff you have to believe in in order to understand what the fuck is happening when he's getting the giant magnet boots put on them that the fucking Goombas wear in the live action like yeah. Mario Brothers film from the 90s. And Which the fucking Zodiac the- killer is like torturing him inside the fucking prison. And, you know, you get that transcendent moment which was the part when I first watched the movie that I went, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, which is when Cage finally, for the very first time, who up to this point has been playing the, has been playing at Travolta. You know, he's been sad. He's been like, oh my God, I'm going undercover. And he's been playing it as like the serious stoic cop who's talking to all of these criminals and getting into riots and fights with them and everything like that. And when he realizes that Pollux is watching him and he's like, Oh shit, I'm supposed to be playing like a character. Like I'm I'm Troy. And when you have to watch the the brain process of Nicolas Cage be, I'm Nicolas Cage playing John Travolta (laughs) playing Nicolas Cage or doing an impression of him. Yeah. And and when he puts on that uh, He looks at Pollux at one point, like looks at Pollux and, and like he's getting his ass kicked. And like Pollux is like, why is my brother getting his ass kicked? And then like he yeah. looks at Pollux and then starts like, ah, and then starts kicking ass. The <laughs> huge inhuman smile and just yeah. starts overacting and everything. Think, it's incredible. I think it's really cool too to have to like, you know, he has this style that he's aware of where he goes over the top and all that. But to try to do it in a way that 
appears as if it's replicating it and not just being it is is a very interesting yeah. thought. And that, I and I like that he has as to if Nicolas Cage that. wasn't naturally doing it the way he normally would, right? Like he has yeah. to make it look like he's putting a concentrated effort into going cage mode. <laughs> yeah, and he does that I think pretty well too, to the point where I think even when he goes almost more exaggerated than he would. I think that's almost saying, at least in the sense of like what Cage is thinking, I, I, I'm thinking that he's thinking that Sean would, when he's replicating it, would try to go maybe even more eccentric and over the top than the natural Troy would, just because Troy's doing it because that's who he is, whereas Sean is doing it because he's trying to put on a performance. So it's 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 a cool thing. To he's watch trying to actor. get information out of the brother. He's being like, "We're gonna blow up L.A., bro. Your yeah. bomb is a work of art that belongs in the Louvre." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's awesome. And then this is where I was I I mentioned it briefly, but where he's starting to. You know, he's realizing that he's going to be in this prison environment for a long time. He's going to have to play Troy. He's going to have to convince Pollux. He's going to have to fight people all the time um, in this setting uh, where his character is shown as like crying because Sean's in there. But then he starts to do the maniacal wooing that Troy would do and then going back to the crying. This is all in like a three or four second span that you're seeing him do this too. And um, it's just it's. Of course, it's a little silly, but it's so wildly entertaining and the concept is so baked into the film um, and the the style and the choice of performances. Oh, yeah. It's like fucking At a certain point, you just have to go with the fact that John Travolta as Nicolas Cage is going to walk into a room at one point and go, it's like looking in a mirror, only... Mm-hmm. Not, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and somehow selling that line like, oh my, amazing! God. I also love, I absolutely love when uh, Travolta as um, Age beats Eve for the first time and mm-hmm. like just literally starts flirting with her, and it's like, come on, Peach, why you leave it? It's tough, and she's just like, who's this guy? She's like, Sean, wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Papa's got a brand new bag. <laughs> I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave. <laughs> oh yeah, he's just laying lines on her and stuff. It's so I funny. Know. And he, it, then he then he like gets the cigarette from the daughter's room, and it's like things gonna be different around here. Papa's that's got the a most brand new uncomfortable boob. scene ever when he's just like checking out her ass in her bedroom, and being like, "Oh, you know, we got a little twist here, you know." Like, yeah. <laughs> And the implications of when he says something. Oh my God, maybe this is not going to be too bad after all. (laughs) Yeah. And the implications of when he goes up to her and you don't know he's reaching for the cigarettes and he says something like, I just need to get something that I'm addicted to or something like that. And you're like, it's obviously heavily implying a young woman. And, and then he just grabs the cigarettes. And once again, he is Travolta at this point. So this is a father daughter situation. And it's just like, like we already said it, I think earlier, but it is the most perverse familial shit like ever. Yeah, every in interaction in all the home life stuff is so filled with so much bizarreness and perversion because of this dramatic irony of knowing yep. that, you know, the sadistic killer that ruined their family is inside the body of their dad and none of them know it. And they're kind and, of enjoying you know, it. <laughs> the, 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 despite how outlandishly he's behaving because he because he just plays it like he never does the I'm pretending to be, you know, right. like uh, Sean Archer the same way that you know, 
know, uh, you know, Cage doing Travolta actually does basically just like straight up play, you know, the, he, you know, he, he is actually trying to pretend to put on a performance every so often and actually be undercover. Yeah. Like with, with, with Travolta's performance, he's just like, like, no, no, I'm just playing this as Castro Troy's like swagged out self. He's just going to be like t- monstrously horny yeah. and disgusting in every possible yeah. situation that he gets in. And he's kind of like, you a, know what? It, it's pretty nice being a cop. You know, I kind of like it. You know, I, yeah, at one point power. he's convincing his brother to be like, show me where the bomb is, man. And we can just, we can disarm it and like save the day. And you know, I'll have so much power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, um, there's a look that, uh, Travolta as Troy gives Walton, the security guy, like when they first meet, when Travolta and Cage as each other first meet face to face, and Walton's like, "I'm sorry about that, Asian Archer," and he's like, "Don't worry about it, Walton. Clearly, he's had a traumatic childhood, and uh, you know, <laughs> and he, like the face <laughs> yeah. he makes is just like." <laughs> I love. Meanwhile, um, Cage is being like restrained by like fucking corrupt security guards, and like his eyes are popping. He's like, "Clearly, he had a traumatic childhood, and uh, you know." Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and this is and I think yeah, that's when he chokes him and screams for the first time the the die that whole thing yeah. before he gets to do it again in the in the finale. Um, I love and I how don't know also if you guys, Troy hates the fucking suburbs. He's like, I may never get a hard on again. Look at this fucking place. Yeah. And when he drives by his house and the wife and he goes, oh, right. You know, oh, I guess, right. I guess yeah. that's. He has to drive the car back. <laughs> yeah. He's like, sorry, all the houses look the fucking same or something like that. Yeah. I have to recommend. Yeah, he, he, he enjoys being a cop so much. It's it's hilarious. But yeah, and, it's and really, while still going so hard it. in the cage faces and poses and stuff like that, like, when he defuses the bomb and he comes back into the police station and they're all just they're all applauding him and he's just like smiling like he's like accepting an <laughs> like Oscar or something the like that. Yeah. 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 They have him on the fucking screen at the prison. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah, and he's just like uh, balls in my court now or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, he says like interception. We have possession now or something like that. So ridiculous. Travolta is going so fucking crazy, man. And and when he does that lick on Cage's face too, I lose my mind every time. He's like, God, I miss that face. And he starts fucking licking him. I love his obsession that he plays with himself. Like, and it 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 goes along not just with Troy as a character, but the whole John Travolta and Nick Cage thing again because they give Travolta lines like, uh, "Man, I can't wait to get rid of this ridiculous chin," like that kind of shit. Yeah, like his big butt chin that he's always been known for. So it's just like I love that they incorporate that kind of uh, stuff too and I have to recommend this to anyone that hasn't seen it you can go on YouTube and there's like a five minute behind the scenes uh, cut of of this scene where where John Travolta is uh, introduced as um, or, or Troy is introduced as Sean um, uh, for the first time and it's just getting the 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 line deliveries from a behind the scenes camera which is interesting enough but then you get to see them after Wu yells cut and how they react to what they're doing and Travolta man is fucking jumping up and down like a schoolboy he's got he's beaming from ear to ear he is having so <laughs> much fun with this like exaggerated craziness and i think it's a cut right after uh Nick Cage chokes him and yells die and then that's when they yell cut and Cage 
is 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 kind of like more laid back where Travolta's excited and he's just like, Are you okay? Did I was that too tight? Should I lay back no. a little bit? And Travolta's like, No, man, that was awesome. Go harder if you want, like that kind of thing. So it's just it's so fucking amazing to watch. And I would just have to I ha- I highly have to recommend looking at it. That's that amazing. Up. I mean, dude, like I, I You can see it in the performances totally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can kind of see that both of them are so happy doing this and it's 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 really I mean, it's really such like a fucking. It really is such a fucking special film to watch. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's even great when Cage as Archer comes back home and is trying to convince Eve that he's Archer. Hmm. Or or yeah yeah yeah. He's like telling to convince- her like personal stories and that kind of thing. Yeah yeah, and she's just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah yeah. Um, yeah, it gets like. Well, that's kind of. It's cool that that's perverse too, because then she's. Because once you know you're seeing the just physical Troy caster, that is what you're seeing, and she's trying to process this whole thing, this whole crazy situation. And at the same time, in that scene, he's like bleeding because he's been shot. And um, he, they do this. We haven't even mentioned it yet. I don't know how we forgot, but the 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 hand caress over the face that they do to signify that they're like part of the yes. family. Um, Sean he, Archer's like creepy little like face wipe that he does on yeah. all of his family members' faces, and which they is use like it, his most like romantic gesture. Right. And they use it as this thing that they recognize as like, oh, well, only our family knows that. And so when he does it, she's kind of like, oh my God, Sean, like that kind of thing. And I just, I love the. It, yeah, it's the reverse, right, of the scene we were talking about earlier when Travolta is the one who has to, you know, hold on to the grieving wife knowing that he killed her kid. The reverse is when the wife has to reckon with the fact that the body of her killer is now filled with her, you know, of her family's killer, yes. her son's killer, is now filled with all of the history of their family and the sensitive father and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. It's like. Yeah, they 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 get to play the romantic perversity of the situation up to some pretty extreme degrees in both directions, yeah. while also still accentuating in the action too. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Because we have to mention it. We have to mention the, the 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 two big set pieces in this are the big one is the big prison break set piece. Oh yeah, um, which is incredible. One. It's very very hard boiled in terms of the way that he's shooting the destruction. Like it's amazing mm-hmm. squibs and sparks and wire pulls, tons of papers flying and screens shattering and that that beat where which is so John Woo of him th- of a uh, cage uh, throwing the bottle of acid at the guards and then shooting it midair slow motion so it explodes all over them and stuff oh, like that incredible. That's yeah awesome. incredible shot. that's just a detail that no one but John Woo would put in a movie <laughs> yeah yeah and of course it's yeah, like it's that hyper stylized slow motion and everything like that it's so fucking good yeah, and, well, and, and I like, too, that it starts to show him developing some loyalty and friendship to the criminal associates where he's actually helping them, like, lead a revolt against the, the you know, the abusive prison guards that they all, you know, they they all uh, suffer from and, uh, you know, not not mistreating them. Because when I think there's one thing that Pollock says at one point where, like, yeah, Castor Troy, the way that he treats all his criminal friends is he fucks their wives and sisters in a sandwich. Yeah. You know, where yeah. I mean, meanwhile, you have, you know, like Archer as Troy, who's actually like trying to save them and help them and and protect them and you know like uh yeah you know and uh getting into that huge brief helicopter chase moment where he has to dive cage has to dive into the ocean and the whirring like blades of the helicopter and slow-mo are going by him while he's landing in the water i love that realization too that not only are we in this giant crazy super tech 
magnetic floor prison, but we're in the middle of the ocean, like it's an oil rig or something like that. Like this yeah. thing is so <laughs> just this the thing design is of this world is so fucking ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's yeah. crazy. And I don't even think they show him like they, I'm pretty sure he dives into the water, and then the next scene is just him like, yeah, I made it. Like we're we're back, baby. Because I'm pretty right. They don't show him. Uh, like survive that swim or or get to land or anything like that. No, I'm he just does sure. it. Yeah, yeah. He just, all, it, it just signals <laughs> that he's broken out and it's like a cat and mouse antics from here on out for the second half of the movie yeah, where he's like, yeah. you no, know, he's calling his wife and planting the seed that her husband is not her husband. It's actually a fake husband. I do love that line later when she she whips out a gun on him and she's like, where'd you get that gun? He's like, I took it from my fake husband. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just a great line. Yeah. Um, and I like but, that. But also you have Cage having to go into Castro Troy's base too and find finally doing his undercover thing when he's like, you know, meeting Dietrich. And I love that when he meets all of his criminal friends, he uses the information that he has from when he's a cop and he talks to them as if he's talking to like their criminal rap sheets. He's like, Oh, hi Dietrich. You, you drug dealer, you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also like that, that acceptance that he takes when he, when he calls, when he finally gets to land and he calls, uh, Troy up as Sean and he's just like if you're Sean Archer I guess I'm Caster Troy and there's just the, yeah. the whole setup of everything I can I can fuck with your life brother yeah and I like that <laughs> it's starting to unravel Troy a little bit because he starts to kind of go back to what Sean was acting like in the beginning like he starts to yell at his colleagues and shit like the a great line delivery because it's not quite it's still you know Travolta acting as as in, in the cage mannerisms but he's unraveling so he says something like it hasn't been recovered yet and it's just like this <laughs> over the top crazy reaction in, in the, the middle of the office and, and everything um, this is where things start to get like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not even like, it's like start. The whole thing has been fucking insane, but it just keeps escalating somehow. It, it's Yeah. The it's fact that it escalates until the movie basically ends is, <laughs> yeah. is like, like an, an insane structure to maintain and such an insane balancing act of, of tone and, you know, like, you know, direction of just physical elements mm -hmm. and, and maintaining these performances through these situations as yes. they're going on, because, because Cage is be really consistent. Yeah, because Cage is really starting to lose his mind as, you know, <laughs> Sean Archer now having to play Caster Troy and going into his base and hanging out with his goons and them being like, well, what are we going to do next, boss? He's like, we're going after Sean Archer. And they're like, well, I mean, his his house is probably alarmed out like the wazoo. And, you know, it's kind of dangerous, don't you? He's like he's like the, the FBI's guy. And he's like. The code is 101986. It's the date of his dead kid's birthday. And then he just starts like laughing his ass off because he's like he the irony is he knows that information because he's the one who probably set that code. Yeah, he and knows was in Troy better when than he, anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and and the fact that he has to like, you know, basically play up how badly he wants to kill himself to these men. And they all start like gleefully, maniacally laughing along with him while he's also like clearly emotionally tortured about all of this at the same time. I think that's and also one of the scenes where he's like tearing up and crying and holding his face and then, you know, jumping back into the crazy maniacal laughter that he knows he's supposed to do as like a cartoon terrorist and, yeah. you know, all that kind of. And, and, and it's also where the line. Uh, once we kidnapped the super cop, then what? A little tiny surgery. I'd like to take his face off. Yeah. Oh my god. Throws his that. hands up in into the air, which by the way, I found out from the behind the scenes 
that Cage improvised this. Oh, fuck and yeah. And everyone ran with it because they thought that it was really funny. And you can actually see, because I think I read it, it was in the oral uh, production oral history. Nick Cassavetes is the one who said, who was in the scene when he says this line. He's the one who said that that was not scripted. It was a cage moment. And he actually, you can see him kind of laughing at the line in the movie because he was like, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, that's such a, you just said the title of the movie. That's ridiculous. Like, what, what are we doing? You know, yeah. like he, he thought that he thought that, and then Cage so Nick Cassavetes, exactly what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Cassavetes later in that scene being like, take his face off. Like no more drugs for that guy. Yeah. Like all of that is just, was like not scripted elements of the film. Basically they all, and they started calling it face off after that basically. Cause it was already called face off. Like it was in the script. Yeah. It was called that, but no character actually said it. And as a result, characters started saying it Oh, it's <laughs> because so, of cage. It's so awesome. I love that, that like he must've what I assume is that when he said it too, he probably said it spontaneously. And then Wu was like, I need to capture that the right way. Because I isn't the shot this kind of like bird's eye view upper angle of it when he does it? It's like, yeah. Yeah. And that's so it's such a perfect sad. moment. Oh, it's perfect. It's fucking awesome. Um, and I also like that he makes a joke about like he's, he's almost like you said, he's, he's trying to play like how much he hates himself in a sense. And he actually makes a pretty per, like perverse joke about his uh like he's like he, he's fucking my wife um and he's telling them that as if like troy is making a joke about sean's wife is his because he's just he owns everything or whatever right but in fact he is fucking his wife <laughs> so he's, he's right. like you see the pain in him as he's also saying it but trying to be the carefree eccentric super villain um, there's, yeah. there's so many layers to, to this scene. And then they get, you get some awesome wooisms where he pulls a gun out on himself in the bathroom mirror. And that, one of my favorite moments in the whole film, because he's oh, tripping yeah. out on the drugs that Cassavetes gives him. He sees himself in the mirror and he fucking spooks himself because it's yeah. Castor Troy. He's yeah. just like, well, that's not what I fucking look like. He point, he's like, he points his gun at him and he's like, and then he has to talk himself into, he's like, I'm not me. I'm me. Yeah. I'm not me. I'm me. And when fucking Gina Gershon comes up behind him while he's making this face and doing the fucking smile in the mirror. What a fucking great moment. Oh my God. It's incredible. And that's that thing again, where I think, you know, you would think that this is, it's very crazy and ridiculous and over the top. But I think that that is Sean again, trying to replicate and capture that kind of eccentric thing that Troy is known for. Um, and that's why it comes off as like really over the top. Like this is a smile that we have not seen throughout the entire film. He does a like a half version of it in the prison scene where he tries to convince Pollux. But this one is like he's just broken over the edge. You know, he's completely shattered as a man <laughs> at this point yeah. with this smile. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's great. Well, because he, he's all alone. He's got to figure his way out of this, like, yeah. at, you know, the, the, as as best as he can, because everyone who knows about this undercover mission he was on was fucking, you know, gruesomely torched to death by <laughs> in that in that brief clip of uh, that, that, that flashback that we that we see of that. Um, and and also, you know, he's dealing with the emotional elements of finding out that, like, 
Gershon's character, Sasha, is like sort of in a relationship with Castor Troy and her son, Adam, is actually Troy's kid. And there is actually that really creepy moment where he creates the uh, the face thing that he did with his own son, Michael, oh, and he does yeah. it on Adam and he just starts holding him and crying and being like, Michael, Michael, you know, oh, yeah. right before and Gina's like, what the, the hell is going on here? <laughs> she's like, yeah. what the fuck was that? Dude, right before that? the yeah. headquarters gets raided. Oh, and that's um, a c- explosive scene. It's fucking crazy. And to have the the like ten year old child in the middle of all that chaos, and they really use that well too. I love when they put headphones over him as if that's gonna help the rest of what's going on. And he's on. listening to somewhere over the rainbow, <laughs> just while like a bloodbath of bullet mayhem just like goes, you know, all around him, just bodies being torn apart Ugh. and launched into the sky. And <laughs> oh, it's crazy. And it's cool too because the entire penthouse is essentially made of glass. So it just it 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 helps in the fact that you just see like things shatter over and over yeah, again. Yeah, it's it's just shattering everywhere while Nick Nick Cassavetes is screaming, I hate cops. Yeah. They're like cockroaches. <laughs> oh yeah, it's fucking it's so fun. Entire rooms being detonated by machine gun fire. Nick and Cage the, diving and saving the child from a from from I don't know if it's like a falling if it's a falling piece of uh like furniture of some kind or or chandelier. I can't remember, but he he dives he grabs the kid and dives him out of the way. It's pretty pretty epic. Well, yeah, and this is what I was referring to as well about like the line between the good guys and the bad guys being, you know, starting to become a little bit more confused because this is like Archer as Troy. You know, you kind of want him to prevail in this like FBI agent massacre where they're just kind of like trying to kill them all and they're trying to shoot back. And it's just a completely faceless force, sort of like what I was saying in Con Air before, where you're kind of cheer for the criminals a little bit because you're more familiar with their faces. Yeah. Um, And uh, but it all leads to this amazing moment where like, you know, like Archer is incredibly ruthless and willing to kill his friends and family uh, as, you know, as the undercover, uh, as as the corrupt cop. And he does kill Nick Cassavetes in that crazy moment where him and Gina Gershon uh, kiss as brother and sister, which is crazy. Uh, And then he stops holding the wound on his neck and he starts literally leaking blood everywhere and and stuff like that. And we are briefly kind of meant to feel sad a little bit for like kind of like a fallen comrade, even though we know that this guy is like a horrible criminal. And then all of the you know, FBI agents that they've been shooting. There's that moment when he actually takes, takes the face mask off one of them that he's about to kill. And he realizes it's like one of his friends. Yeah. And he's just like, and then he has to like, actually just like knock him out instead and be like, Oh God, you know, I almost did that. And so like, there's this amazing moment where like the identities are really starting to blur and break down between the two of them. And it is actually, you know, it's starting to collapse this collision and how much long can they maintain these performances in these lifestyles that they clearly aren't meant for, which is what's yeah. kind of summed up in that interaction. And when they're back to backs and symmetrical against the wall, separating them with both holding guns, which is like, yeah. One of the most iconic shots in the movie. Second and Travolta being like, yeah, and, and, and Travolta being like, I don't know what I hate wearing worse, your face or your body. I mean, I enjoy boning your wife, but <laughs> let's face it. You know, we both like it better the other way. Yes. So why don't we trade back? And, uh, and, he's, <laughs> and, he, and, and he, yeah, Sean, what, what does he say? He's like, we can't what, do that I now. Yeah. Sean says something. It's It's kind of, I think it's kind of generic anyway so it, it doesn't matter that much but it's like something like uh, we can't do that now like we have to take this to the end or something and then he responds with oh well plan B 
let's just kill each other. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's such like, a it's great so, delivery. It's like the man. premise of the movie, basically, right there. They're just like, well, we know what we really have to deliver to the audience, so let's just kill each other. And it's, I, I love that. It feels like a direct commentary on the film that you're watching at the at that very moment. And then you get the fucking awesome shot of them looking at the reflections, so they're actually seeing the physical form of what they're trying to kill but it's just them yeah. and then they shoot through it. Like it's just, Oh my God, that's art. <laughs> what an image. It's so great. And then, and then it's kind of the, uh, it shows further the ruthlessness of, of Troy too, because they, they kind of start this big shootout and it turns into a little bit of a chase thing with Pollux as well. And, uh, he ends up falling through this like big open glass ceiling and um and it's the first time that you really see troy uh as sean uh kind of emote in any way shape or form like you can see that there's a bit of a swell (laughs) in his eyes and for the first time you're seeing him lose something that at least meant something to him because i think his brother is really shown as the only connection that he has whatsoever with humanity uh and I yeah. love that they have this, and that this cop aimless, coming in. Yeah, this aimless yeah. cop that just 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 has you know no name or no lines throughout the rest of the movie. It's just like, what do you care, man? It's just Pollux Troy shot dead. Like, doesn't even say a word. It's just it, it's it's awesome. It's such an yeah. epic scale. God, yeah, what a what a goddamn scene, and all of the John Woo again, like poetry of 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 the imagery with the with the reflections and the mirrors and the pure destruction and the little you know gunfight that they're doing, and and the again, he's so good at capturing in sort of like a very physical, tangible way the inner turmoil and crises that these actors are 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 going through with these characters, and the way that he just hones in on that is so. Like it was it is really what ends up selling this movie and selling, you know, like some of the incredible scenes like him sneaking back into his bedroom with his wife and being Mm -hmm. like, honey, don't look at my voice and, you know, don't look at my face and don't listen to my voice. But I'm Sean. You know, I didn't kill our son. I I took his face and he killed everyone who knew about our mission and, you know, and and, and transformed into me, you know, and there's I also think it's. Oh, go ahead, Jason. Go ahead. I I also thought it was really funny when Travolta as Troy wakes up. And like him and like three other goons are just like walking really fucking aggressively in the hospital, like looking for her. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then they he does like uh, he tries to play it off like the smooth thing that he's been doing the whole time, where he's just like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I just get so jealous." And and you can tell yeah. that she's well at this point she's been kind of briefed on what's what's going on, so she's uncomfortable, but. Well, yeah, because he's like, uh, have you checked your husband's blood type recently? Uh, because, you know, I'm, you know, you know that your husband is blood type O and you know that Troy's blood type is blood type AB. Mm-hmm. And if there's a, maybe, maybe there's a little doubt in your mind, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe you should, uh, when he's sleeping, give him a little, you know, prick and go into the hospital and go and, uh, go, go check that out. Make sure that you, you know, haven't been sleeping every night next to the, your a tormentor killer. and your son's killer, you know? Yeah. And I, I also really like that when, uh, Cage is delivering this information to Eve for the first time as Sean. Um, he 
and I I would assume that it's in the script because I think the script was probably pretty aware of how crazy this whole thing is. But I like that he's delivering lines like as he's explaining it in the middle of it, he'll interrupt himself and be like, it's fucking insane. <laughs> like he's just, yeah. he just can't even <laughs> hold it together while he's explaining the situation to the character. It's uh, it's it's brilliant. And of course, you get some awesome cageisms too, where he's just like, they gave me his face and like it just goes crazy with the face <laughs> line and stuff. But I do think he's he's pretty tasteful uh, in in these moments because again it's it's Sean kind of losing his mind and losing his way and getting a little bit too mixed up with with the Troy personality. So I, I think it works. Um, but yeah, I love the commentary mm-hmm. on just how insane the situation is. Yeah, it, well, and, and Joan Allen does incredible work in that scene mm-hmm. when you know she has figured out that her husband is not her husband, but she still can't believe the sight of you know like Nicolas Cage as Sean in front of her. She she can't believe it, even though you know he's doing the little like face touch to to her and he's relaying the story of their first date and the complex emotion she has to reckon with on her face listening to you know her husband talk about this like romantic monologue and it's just coming out of the mouth of the most evil man alive right in front of her like it's just like joan allen also has to take that like 100 percent emotionally seriously it's really impressive actually yeah she even has a line i think it's a little later after this scene where he comes back it's i think it's at the hospital and she's like i don't trust anyone right now regardless of the fact that i kind of like i know that something's going on and you're not you're not actually Troy. You, you, you seem to be my husband in his skin, but this is such a <laughs> fucking batshit insane scenario that I'm just going to point the gun anyway and, and not trust anyone until I totally know. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. think her reaction to it is very good and very genuine. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I, I, Joan Allen does some really good work in this. Because um, she has to play the most grounded character, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throughout it all. Um, That's hard in something like this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, Nick Cassavetes must have liked working with her because she would come back for the notebook. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, but no, I've I've, I've always liked her ever since uh, Manhunter, I think, was the first time that I saw her. She's very good. In oh, that. yeah. Um, yeah, she's great. And, uh, and 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 the way that the entire family does actually get incorporated into the big like beach funeral finale which is kind of like the, the the big final gesture of the movie when Travolta you know as uh, Troy definitely knows that something's up I think he has that funny line where he's like you know lies and distrust it's almost like a r- real marriage yeah you know yeah <laughs> and and this beach finale is just one of the greatest action sequences of of the 90s. It just it is um, like and starting you know, it, it in starts a Catholic off, church is just incredible. Of course, in Wu fashion, the moody church hymns, the candles, the doves. There's an incredible story where apparently actually one of the producers on the films actually told uh, Wu that he could not have his doves. Cool. Um, Don't and, you dare. Uh, yeah, but uh, apparently he just like in, in, he he just in sadness kind of like resigned his head and for the rest of the shoot day just kind of like looked like a little sad and the <laughs> producer told him the next day that he could have his doves and he just like lit up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love that it's just like a sad acceptance until they saw how heartbroken he was. Like, Jesus, we got to give this guy his doves, man. This is like, I've never seen him like this before. Yeah, but they also, the producer said it was also just because he was such a perfectionist with some of the framing and the, and, and the coverage that yeah, like, he was why like, why would you take that will, away we, anyway? Like, he's so good but, at him. Uh, yeah, but they, they basically said, we'll give you the doves, but there's no wasting film waiting for the doves to do like the perfect formation or the perfect mm-hmm. thing. Like, none of that. Oh, okay. Like, you can just use the doves, okay? Well, he, he still got it. He still captured it, I think, for sure. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, the fact that there's so much nuggets to talk about in relation to this movie kind of proves how great it is. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. It, it's, every it's, scene is, is like, you can I just I know. Every scene it. has, like, a set piece. It's also, like, such, like, a well-technically-made movie on top of the actors being so much fun. It's really, I mean, it's just perfect. Like, it, like isn't this religious? It really is, bro. Like, yes. you, know, like you know, the eternal battle between good and evil, yeah. saints and sinners. <laughs> but you're still not having any fun. <laughs> oh, it's so also, good. like, and- Cage barefoot skiing on the fucking water at the end. Yeah. Fucking one of, that was probably the most mind melting moment the first time that I ever saw it. When I went, the fact that 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 they do a speedboat chase and John Travolta punches Nick Cage off the boat and and Nick Cage grabs onto a chain so that he doesn't, you know, completely go into the water and actually does a full like on his butt twist so that he can get onto his feet and start barefoot skiing. Like it's like the stunt itself is insane. Like that guy is ragdolling when he is uh, holding yep. onto the chain. Who like whoever that stuntman was, it looked like he I went mean, through even some the guys shit. just even the guys just crashing the boats into each other. Like they are oh, full yeah. on slamming those boats. Apparently it's actually one of the earliest sequences that they shot for the film. And they mm. say that in the first week of the film that they sunk a boat. Yeah, I'm not surprised. They like, you're right. When you see them clash those boats in the, in that one like heli shot that they have of it, it is just full speed. Like they're not trying to do any type of trickery or anything like that. It just looks like two speed boats clashing into each other. It's absolutely yeah, insane. An incredible helicopter wide shots of them really slamming into each other, you know, using the cop boat as a ramp and literally exploding their way through it while they're like the actors and the boat is like catching on fire. Just yeah. like really unbelievable stunt work there and also just really great, you know, sort of like visual connectivity between the sequences, like even something as simple as right before the boat chase, the little like Mexican standoff oh, that they all have. Yeah. And there's two of them, which is great. There's the one in the church where he does all these yeah. like close ups of the gun barrels and stuff as they're going off. And then the second one is with the uh, the daughter. And you get these like great lines of John Travolta, like finally shows her that he's the evil one and puts the gun to her head. And instead of her saying it, he just mocks her and he's just like, dad, put the gun down. It's the funniest (laughs) fucking line delivery ever. And Travolta is once again, just having an absolute blast. But yeah, these two standoffs are, are awesome. Um, well, yeah, because it's just like, like you know, the Leone close-ups on the eyes, yeah. the cartoonish number of people who enter the rooms with guns, and the huge, like, steady cam lurches to, like, reveal another one, where it's like, one of his goons come in, one of, you know, Sasha comes in with a gun. To the point the where Gina on, even says, like, uh, I'm bored, put the fucking guns down, or something like that. Yeah, this that. is too, this is too many, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, uh... 
And also one of my favorite moments in the entire thing is, you know, because you were mentioning, you know, Travolta taking the daughter hostage. But briefly, when the daughter doesn't when Jamie doesn't know which one to shoot and she's you know, she can't she's like and they're like, shoot him, shoot him, you know, and, yeah. and she does finally actually shoot Cage at who is her actual father. And then she gets taken hostage. And when 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 uh, Travolta as Troy licks her and calls her peaches and she's like crying her eyes out. Oh, man. And and she whips out the butterfly knife, yeah. shoves it into his leg and fucking twists it because earlier in the film, uh, Troy, as you know, pretending to be her dad, gave her the butterfly knife to After fend off any, her like, from a rapist. Know, yeah. Yeah. Also, Which is by Danny, the, Danny Masterson. Ma- yeah, a little foreshadowing. Yeah, I was going to say. A little real life foreshadowing right there. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, and I did not Lord. remember that until I rewatched this. But yeah, but, you know, King of Parenting, when he's like, yeah, just shove the blade in and fucking twist so it, you know, they can't take it out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and the fact that it comes back in the finale so well there right before Against the speedboat chase. Yeah. That's what you yep. get for being father of the year there, Troy. Yeah, and will someone please tell me what a planet I'm on as all of a sudden planet the boats woo. are just fucking going fucking crazy and, uh, you know, they're crashing into the dock. And I think the last thing we haven't hit is that uh, when they both crash the boat while they're fighting on it together and they launch from it like cannonballs and oh, the boat yeah. is like flipping and exploding behind them while they're still in the air and eventually like ragdoll along the surface of the water. I don't know who did those stunts, but those guys are fucking Oh, they're insane. Yeah, that it it literally looks like they're just being mangled by water. It's it's crazy. I don't know how they did what they did. And you see what's wild, too, is you don't see the you think that there'd be like the shot where he's kind of ragdolling on the side of the of the boat. And then they cut away to maybe another action thing and then cut back to him doing the water skiing. But you actually see the stuntman go from ragdoll to the water ski moment. And it's like it's a really impressive stunt. Yeah. The big final confrontation between Cage and Travolta, you know, slamming each other with pipes. The harpoon uh, gun is <laughs> is uh, coming out. Oh, man. Um, that's it. That's the and, only way uh, you just have. You got to learn to avenge your son through the power of a harpoon kill. That's the lesson. Learned you're right, here. Sean. I misbehaved. I have to be punished. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, every time when you look in the mirror, you'll see my face. And he starts like slicing up his own face, yeah. trying to like fuck with his own body. Like that's such a great, again, physical expression of like the identity crisis that's happening between these two men when he's literally trying to like cut the face off and ruin his face for him, ruin his life until he harpoons him in the gut. And in the uh, stroke of genius detail, Travolta wriggles like a fucking fish dying on the harpoon. <laughs> yes, and starts to sing like like uh, like Troy. Ready would. for the big ride, baby. Yeah, ready, ready for, for the, the big, big ride, ride baby. baby. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my, my god. god, he's like mumbling as blood comes out of his mouth and shit. Like he just can't stop, even as he's going on his way to hell. <laughs> yeah, and of course so. I love too just these small details. He takes the wedding ring back from the dead body. He's he tells the doctor when he's about to go under the knife again that he doesn't need the scar anymore. I don't need my old scar anymore. I just anymore. won't need it yeah. anymore. I'm over it. The like big it. romantic embrace with the overexposed sunlight of, of the family, but the perversity of them all embracing. But us 
still having the image of what the dad was just doing over the last couple days totally and i love like like, somewhere deep down that image is still in there (laughs) yeah yeah and again again that over sentimentality goes into the style like you said it's this big overlit thing i love that travolta kind of comes into the door frame rather than just being there when it opens and it's i love the slow reveal and then they they just keep piling things on top of another you don't think it could get any more like overly sentimental and ridiculous or whatever but then he's like oh also now that my family is all back to normal i also adopted troy caster's young son here and he's gonna be your brother (laughs) and you're gonna embrace it fully with no questions asked (laughs) yeah because gina gershon when she gets shot in the giant altercation of gunfights of bullets and doves and explosions and everything she goes you know you need to raise our son and make sure you know he doesn't end up like us you know so he's you know he's 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 kind of giving the emotional you know relief to everyone and what's so funny about this moment is that so many people claimed that this was probably had to have been like a studio note or something to have such like a romantic happy ending this is actually the way that it was written this is the way that john woo said he wanted he said this is how he wanted to do it and he actually like kind of fought the studio to try to keep the ending but they were they were told that they weren't allowed to shoot it and that they this wasn't how it was going to end. The, uh, according to the writer, the producer said it was a too European ending and that American audiences would not accept the I, the really perverse <laughs> idea that like the bad seed of the child of his mortal enemy is being brought into the home as like a surrogate child for the one that was killed. Like they're like, <laughs> that's such a creepy idea to try to so sell awesome. romantically. But apparently they did test screenings without this ending. And 70% of the audience like what happened said, what happened, what you happened to promise. the little boy? <laughs> you motherfucker. <Yeah>. Yep. <laughs> yep. So once that happened, they were like, the studios came back and said, okay, you guys can shoot it. Oh, dude, <laughs> that's so funny, man. That's oh incredible. my God. So, man, that's fucking And go. then they just embrace, they kiss. You know, he finally gets that, that moment with Eve. It swells up. The music crescendo. Also, I also love how Jamie does not have any piercings anymore. Jamie's like a regular yeah. girl now again. That's right. She's of course. normal. She's not some weird freak. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she, because she was technically trying to do what the dads were doing a little bit, right? You know, she was she, she was changing the way that she looked and acted, and uh, right. you know, you don't she, you don't dress you don't like need a Halloween. Do you're gonna attract ghouls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I loved. I also love how he like teaches her the knife trick. It's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah, it's so I, yeah. It coming back to haunt him is just it's funny, touch. but it's but, also yeah. it's almost kind of like a like it's almost kind of like like I'm in your house, so I, was, I might as well just do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, it is great that all these just these ironic setups, uh, just every single one of them is answered by the end of the film. Like the knife thing, this this taking care of the surrogate son. Now, like it just every single thing that they set up, even if you think it's this minor silly character detail that isn't going to uh, be wrapped up in any way, or it even needs to be, he just does anyway. And I'm, uh, always, I'm also surprised with what we know about Archer, why he actually takes the son. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't he be like, "Oh, you're Castro's blood." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I guess that's supposed to be his character arc where it's like, uh, you know, he, he got over it so much that now he's willing to move on and share, put, put that love and focus it on 
on a child, even if it's his well, 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 and I was I was going to say part of it, too, was like he started to humanize and relate to some of the criminals yes. that when he was hanging out with Castro Troy being like, yeah, I guess as kind of like the super cop who put these guys in jail or exploded them. I didn't actually consider that some of them are people and they like might the have Gina, Gina Gershon character. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there is meant to be a little bit of like, a, you know, he he's become less of the obsessive, crazy, destructive caught by the end I think is meant to be the idea that he's like there's there's more grace here you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and that's, but, uh, that's the masterpiece yeah. face off it is it is that is face off and this has been a long episode so we are going to wrap it up in the reductive uh rating round here but this is obviously like one of the easiest fives that i could uh possibly uh give and most of my points will just be reiterating but again you have multiple things working here once in a lifetime great idea yeah. uh combining two of you know these actors at the peak of you know their craft giving them a legitimately deranged you know, sci-fi melodrama spec script where they get to literally wear each other like fucking skin suits and role play performance swap and and, and in a very graceful choreographed like dance like quality to it where they actually are mimicking cadences and manner mannerisms yeah, and so doing care. so. Yeah, and and doing so in the name of the actual identity crisis and performance image creation, you know, sort of themes that are actually baked into the ridiculous text uh, of of, of the plot even and, and everything and, you know, taking all of that and giving it to one of the most supernaturally gifted action filmmakers of all time, you know, mm-hmm. who had already been familiar with operatic cop and criminal mirror image kind of storytelling and who just was with this specific rivalry was able to realize it in the most like gruesome, literal, perverse, you know, opposites colliding romantic action melodrama fashion possible. And it is like just one of the craziest transformation films I've ever seen uh, on an acting level, on a craft level, on a writing level. And yeah, there's just, there's so much pageantry. It's such an absurd situation taken so emotionally seriously mm-hmm. by so many of the actors and by Wu that, uh, you know, I can't, what else can you say? It's just one of the greatest movies that's ever been made and definitely one of the best action movies of the nineties. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I, I saw this movie for the second time with the homie Eddie, who's a friend of the podcast as well. Um, oh yeah. Hell yeah. Shout out to Eddie. Shout out to Eddie. And man, we had a ball. <laughs> like it was so much fun. Like we had, we got Chinese before and then we saw it and then we got drinks after it. It was just so much fun. It's just an electric movie. I love, uh, what a predicament. That uh, when Travolta says like what a predicament, <laughs> it's just like the Mexican standoff is so weird. Like, yeah, there's probably lines that we missed. There's too many good lines per minute. Oh it's like my every God. line, it's so good. <laughs> every line is just it's 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 incredible. How about when he kills like um, uh, um, the uh, Victor, the guy Victor, the boss, and he's just like hard. He's Victor's having a heart attack. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I am Caster Troy. Kabang. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's it's just really, it, it's really a five-star classic. It's it's a masterpiece. It's, I mean, it, it's a movie that I recommend to people all the time. I'm like, bro, like, you yeah. gotta, it's like, you gotta see this movie. Um, and it, it cements Cage for me as one of the greatest lead actors ever. He's a top Absolutely. 20 lead actor for me. I mean, he's just like, 
at his best, he's so interesting. Um, I think it was Ethan Hawke who said that. He thought that Cage took acting from a naturalism thing to a, like, performance thing, to a kind of populist mm-hmm. performance thing. Um, and I think that's absolutely true. Um, and he's, he's, he's kind of one of those people uh, that he's just so he's just so unbelievable um, at it. And, and yeah, totally yeah, I mean, agree. Penn said in New York Times, Sean Penn said in the New York Times one time that Cage isn't acting. He's doing a performance. And it's it's that's to me. That's the best. Like, I, I, I'm not a capital A acting kind of guy. I'm a performance guy. Give me a performance. And Cage really, I mean, he really does that to me. It's yeah, it's it's. It's up there with my my favorite, just like pure id performances. It's like this Denzel and Training Day, like Pacino and Heat. It's like that kind of just like screaming and that kind of just like maniac performances. I love it. It's it's like that's the sick. Like yeah. I, I fucking, it's just my shit. You know what I mean? This is like this is everything, man. Yeah, and it totally serves the cat and mouse, like, international action chase maximalism of the story and the crazy severity of the melodrama and everything that that Wu is also heightening. This is definitely my favorite Cage performance outside of probably, I don't know, like, Bringing Out the Dead, I guess, which is a very different kind of performance for him and is more, you know, more in the uh, Schrader-Scorsese mold. But in terms of, like, being merged with a filmmaker... I I would have liked to have seen Wu and Cage like, you know, flex this a little bit more because like, yeah, you know, Wu was so willing to take a cartoon, you know, sensibility to the American genre film. And Cage was just so willing to go to that place with him in a way that, you know, other actors probably wouldn't have been comfortable doing. Yeah, Yeah, you can tell that Cage understands Wu like no one else. Travolta as well. I mean, both of them knew exactly what they were getting into when they when yeah. they signed up with Wu. And I would recommend, aside from that that seat that behind the scenes that I told you guys about, also would recommend the uh, individual interviews that they gave both Nick Cage about the characters and Travolta. And it's just interesting to see both of their um, perspectives on it. And Cage, you can tell, had a real interest in playing this kind of double-sided character um, and really wanted to bring that kind of like operatic theatrical aspect to it. So it's, it's very clear that they understood exactly what they were doing. Um, And they, between Wu, Cage and Travolta, just, they, they had, they had a vision and it comes together so well. And, and so rarely do you see something, especially as ridiculous as this come together so cohesively it's incoherently it's crazy. Um, So yeah, this is a, I mean, this is a five star easy for me. This is like, probably the best movie ever made honestly like i, I <laughs> yeah. think that this thing is it might be face uh, off versus I'm, heat yeah yeah <laughs> oh, that would be yeah that that's a heavy contender for sure like i would say most days of the year i would consider this my favorite film and that's hard for me to do is say something is my favorite but no, this Jamie, just has everything i love about movies everything yeah, the, including yeah, over Jamie, the top too, sentimentality seriously. sorry no, yeah, me too. I mean, it's like literally it has everything you want. Yeah, exactly. It's got the it's got that kind of like over the top sentimentality that you'd get from a big blockbuster, but then it's incredibly mean spirited and gritty, but then silly at the same time. Everyone uh, in all aspects of the performances, not just including Cage and Travolta, have an understanding of what they're doing, and and you know the lines in itself in the scripts are included, like having such self awareness by saying 
multiple times things like what planet am I on? This is fucking insane as characters are explaining the scenario to other characters. Um, yeah, it's just, the only way to make sense of like the irrational symphony that Wu is orchestrating around them is yeah. to like have the actors themselves react to it. The characters themselves be like, what the yeah, fuck is it, happening? Yeah, <laughs> it would seem out of place if they didn't realize the type of situation that they're in. That's how extreme and crazy this shit is. So I love that it, that yeah. it points to that. And uh, yeah, like uh, I think one of my earlier reviews, I was just like, because uh, I, I, I liked this, the Holy Trinity is no longer the fun, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is now forever, will be, John Woo, John Travolta, and Nick Cage. God bless them. And may you all shoot your gold-plated dual-wielding pistols with accuracy and style. Amen. Um, yeah. It's just, it's one of the best. It's, it might be the best action movie ever made. So, yeah, five out of five. Hell yeah. Well, that will, I think, wrap it up for this uh, supersized episode of Sleezoids here. That was Con Air from 1997 and Face Off from 1997. Thanks so much, Jason, for uh, joining us and yes. for going crazy long with us. Thank I mean, we we kind of knew and we kind of we kind of talked about it a little bit beforehand. We were like, you, you got to know what you're getting into. You're yeah, bringing I, on Jamie's favorite movie of all I time. Mean, I brought it up a, a, like a week ago when no, uh, Josh go. mentioned I mean, that I, Jason I, was coming on. I was like. <laughs> You got to warn him that this is probably going to be a three hour episode because these are just these are heavy hitters right here. No, I mean, this is this has been this has been great. It's been so much fun. Um, I love both of these movies. And I had, I had actually emailed Jamie like 10 minutes before we were going on. And I'm just yeah. like, dude, I'm so fucking excited. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, nah, bro, like this shit, this shit was this shit was lit, man. Like it was it was really great. Um, there, hell, yeah, just hell just, yeah, just. We love the movies, brothers. We love the movies. Yes, we do. That's right. We really love. Do you cinema. got anything? Uh, anything going on in in Jason World? You want to plug while um, you're here? I know you're not on. I know you're you you're not on Twitter anymore. Not on Twitter anymore. To, to let- Bro, Elon Musk. This guy's a piece of shit. Like honestly, like. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 they, they, I try. It was my fault. I I had a, an account that I was I was finally getting going, and then I tried to change it. I I I. I Recently, I've, I've gone through a breakup. I'm fine, but I, I went through a breakup. I, I broke me and my girlfriend. We broke up, or my now ex. We broke up, and then I so I moved back to the Bronx. So I didn't want to have my at name as Les Lower East Side Buf, and so I changed oh, yeah. it to J Buf, and then they sniped me again because they realized it was me. Um, and it's just like, <laughs> man, just let me have the account, man. Like, um, so I, I I decided I'm off Twitter. I'm just off. Fuck it. I, I can't spend too much time. Yeah, so if anyone's interested in Jason's writing, I think I think you got to go to his Instagram for the time. Got to go to the Instagram. Yeah. At J-A-Y-B-U-F. At J-B-U-F. Uh, I do uh, stuff for Rolling Stone, Stereo Gun, Pitchfork, GQ. I mean, you know, you name it. Uh, uh, I write. You, you pay me, I write. That's my that's my role. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I got something coming up on Othi Greedo, a really great Los Angeles rapper for Rolling Stone. So Hell yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So I, I got, I got, look some out stuff. for it. Yeah. Do it up. Uh, for our listeners, we are going to be back in one week's time where uh, there is a new Christopher Nolan movie on the way oh, yes. called Oppenheimer uh, about uh, the, uh, the, creation of the nuclear bomb and we actually realized that there are some big heavy hitter kind of can canon movies 
about this subject that have already been made that we haven't talked about yet on this show. There were a couple that we were flirting with. Failsafe was one of them. But we ultimately went with, obviously, Dr. Strangelove, Stanley Kubrick. So good. So we're going to be talking about that next week over on the Patreon uh, alongside... We wanted to kind of, because that was kind of like the comedic, farcical side. Uh, we wanted to go a little bit over to the gruesome side because Nolan kind of keeps hyping up that this is like kind of like got a, you know, a, a darker element for him. And I know mm-hmm. that it is like rated R for him. So I'm curious, you know, why exactly that is. We'll Dude, I can't see. wait for Oppenheimer. I'm actually really curious about it. Like, yeah. 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 Like us, us too. I, I wasn't stoked, at first. So. And then now it's kind of picking up and I'm kind of seeing different trailers and I'm like, oh, OK. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so we're going to do Dr. Strangelove, but that's why we're also going to be pairing it with Threads, which is a film that is like uh, sort of a docudrama that is half, from what I understand, like a recreation of what a nuclear holocaust might actually look like if it were to take place. So I've heard that it is like a ruin your day classic kind of movie. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, so we're going to be pairing that with Dr. Strangelove next week over on the Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash podcast for anyone interested in that. And then in two weeks' time, uh, we are going to be talking about some American jingoistic 80s military propaganda action films with uh, the boys from the Blowback podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about Red Dawn, directed by John Milius, kind of considered one of like the biggest like anti-communist action films of its era. And we're also going to be pairing it with a probably a lesser known one, but one called Red Scorpion which from what I understand is um, sort of the uh, uh, Rambo knockoff starring Dolph Lundgren uh, directed Friend by who's that guy who did the, the, the fourth Friday, the 13th, uh, oh. the like, crazy conservative guy who did that. Uh, Joseph Zito. That's yeah. his name. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, him basically doing a movie that was funded by the uh, mm-hmm. uh, apartheid South African government. So pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to get in some some pretty uh, dark political uh, right wing space. And we're going to be talking about that with the blowback boys in uh, two weeks time. So look forward to that. Awesome. But yeah, that being said, that wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, everybody.